Hello, my name is Paul Tinto and I am the voice of Kate Sith for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. I've just had the most amazing chat with Paul Castro Jr. So please stick around and enjoy this episode of Points of Experience. Folks, we've got an exclusive one for you today. The voice of Kate Sith in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, Paul Tinto, joins us on the show. This is his first, I believe this is his first, like, public um, forum that he is talking to people about Final Fantasy and his involvement and his character. So I feel extremely honored, beyond privileged, and when you guys listen to this episode, I think you're going to get a really great understanding of how down-to-earth Paul is. Um, from one Paul to another Paul, he is he meets all the benchmarks of being a, a, an approved Paul. <laughs> Super cool guy. I mean... Um, I I am he's just he's such such a sincere person and I can tell he puts so much love and care into the work that he does and from what we've gotten to see and hear so far and like the trailers with Kate Sith I think um he is going to steal all of our hearts and steal the show um in the original game he was one of my favorite characters um the fact that he could literally one shot things was insane um and uh one of the best mages in Final Fantasy 7 so um I'm curious to find out what happens in this game um I'm eager for you all to learn about his um Paul's whole process getting involved with the game getting cast in the role and his um you know process recording for Kate Sith that we talk a little bit about here and also just his background as an actor um he's gotten to work on shows like The Crown um he was in 1917 but with Sam Mendes and he's gotten to play like Shakespeare roles like Macbeth um really great guy down to earth uh again I I really enjoyed this longer format conversation I got to have with him so I'm I'm very honored that he he shared that time with us and me today guys please like and subscribe to the podcast here on YouTube if you're watching or leave us a review on Spotify make sure you're following on Spotify as well and check out our brand new Patreon patreon.com slash POX podcast where you can contribute to the show and help us make this um one of the best podcasts there is you know I think together we can do it you can contribute become a patron get exclusive episodes uh access to behind the scenes and so much more uh thank you guys for being here and stick around for uh paul tinto the voice of kate sith on the points of experience podcast all right so i just got a, a we we're just talking uh, i'm here with paul and we just got a text i just got a text from my friend and he was like what is final fantasy 7 rebirth and you were just telling me that that was you so i'd love to start right there man yeah, if you yeah, don't yeah. mind i, I feel you i can sympathize with that guy you know? <laughs> i can sympathize with that guy or girl that friend I'm like yeah yeah that was me at one point in my life so so sure really so you yeah. didn't know anything about final fantasy 7 prior to getting involved with this this was like a whole research for you no, I, I knew, like I knew Final Fantasy. Like I had sort of that game. Like I didn't live in a cave growing up in the nineties. Like you, sure. I knew of that game as 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 a concept, but I never played it. And so when this came through, I I I knew of the game, but I deliberately. I mean, there was the remit there for the addition, what they were sort of asking for. Yeah. Um, but 
I deliberately didn't go looking too deep, like at at the edition, and so this whole thing has been a a, a huge journey for me, like catching up in this amazing, amazing story. Like it's it's epic, as you know. It, I mean, I'm I'm preaching to the converted right now. I know, but <laughs> <laughs> it is one of the greatest epics of our lifetime, of our generation, of history in terms of storytelling. I mean, the fact that it's come from this little tiny pixelated game into a fully immersive three-dimensional open world yeah. to a certain extent uh, video game is I never could have dreamed of that as a kid as someone who was a fan so it is <laughs> unbelievable and congrats to you and we'll we'll reset the the, the dial here for a second sure, um, sure, no worries. thank you for coming <laughs> thank you for coming on the show uh, Paul uh, I am I'm a massive fan so far of everything I've seen thus far in in rebirth and his, his little cameo <laughs> in uh remake i'm so excited for you and thank you for joining me on this podcast oh, to kind of this, talk this about everything pleasure here. and and likewise you know after once you reached out and i started looking at your watching some of your things can i just say you i envy your enthusiasm not just your enthusiasm but your energy on this <laughs> podcast is it's infective it's, it's absolutely amazing like i i come out feeling like i've got more energy after watching one of your shows so it's it's, it's an absolute joy man thank you oh, very much man. for having me that is a <laughs> that is a great compliment and i really i i hope that everybody who watches and listens and guests that come on it's a fun experience because for me a lot of it is celebrating things i love and characters and stories and obviously the the art and experience of being an actor for many of the guests sure. and I truly do love like it's 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 pure. I've, I've got my room everywhere here is littered with Final Fantasy stuff to be very specific of my love for this. And um, I'm a huge cat fan. I've got four cats. Kate Sith is the <laughs> like culmination of so many things that I love. And I'm so excited to see his um, introduction into the the game and to be able to play him and everything that changes. And we'll get into that. I want to yeah. save a lot of the juicy stuff for a little no bit down worries. the road. But um, no, honestly, that's so kind of you to say and uh that's the least i can do for having somebody come and chat with me for an hour so it is my gift <laughs> I know. If, if i can if i can rape it into an if i can keep it into an hour you can stop me if i ever talk too long i've got a habit of my parents where i will i will go off in one so feel free you've got full license to pull me back onto track <laughs> <laughs> that's never a problem here myself included so feel free to stop me like all right paul paul from paul to paul from let paul me talk paul. yeah <laughs> dude okay so great i mean it's so fascinating to know that this is I mean, from what I can understand, this is your first kind of video game credit, at least from uh, an American audience. I don't know if you've been doing this um, yeah. in, in Scotland or in the UK or in anywhere. That is this your first video game character you've done? Yeah, this is my first video game. And uh, prior to this, I was doing... I, it, was mainly, it was mainly commercials and stuff. I only... Uh, like, I've only been doing voiceovers... I got a voiceover agent, I think, probably in I think 2019, maybe the end of 2018, let's say 2019, but I only like booked my first ever job um, on pretty much on the pandemic. My first ever like actual bookable, bookable gig I ended up having to do from sort of a home studio and then it was sort of commercials from there. And so, but so yeah, to come back to your original question, this is my, I mean, now I realize I was very much jumping in at the deep end in terms of sort of uh, video game experience. Like, wow. They really gave you a mammoth for a first like video game and, uh, and truly 
I mean, we've only gotten to see so much of Kate Sith so far, but everything sounds fantastic. And he has existed, obviously, in previous games and things yeah. of that nature. But um, there is such a a fun joyfulness um, and exuberance to Kate Sith. I, yeah. I'm sure that that was a thrill to step into those shoes to play this kind of um, almost at least from what I understand in the original game, and hopefully what I'm imagining I'm, I'm correct on here, he's a bit of the comic relief in very tense situations. So yeah. that had to have been fun to uh, play a character like that in what can be a very serious world. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. And to be honest, I think, because in some ways it was very out of my... It's, it's, not, like, it's not a character I would normally play. <clears throat> yeah. And so, and I remember... Um, like I, I had obviously I completely trusted. I trusted Kirk, our director. I Kirk trusted Darton. Ryan and Ben, who were over in Tokyo, the the yep. script supervisors, and because I was obviously letting them lead the way in this, and because I recorded the entire thing in Glasgow. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I was. I eventually made it out to LA and met. Uh, actually, managed to put a face to name meeting. Kirk meeting yeah. Justin or Martin, who are our sound engineers out there, yep. meeting Ben eventually, um, and Kirk was he was kind enough to, and the actors were kind enough to let me sit in on a couple of like on a couple of sessions. So I oh watched like a couple of the actors doing their things, and obviously for lots of the other characters, they are on a very different plane, sort of voice wise. Maybe they're like they're talking right down here, or it's just it's much more close. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm I'm a lot larger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like, hamming it up over it's here. Like, yeah, it's like I'm about two feet back from the mic, and these guys are, you know. Still... <laughs> but you're right in terms of you know that character is made, I think, for to be uh, to be a comic relief in tense yeah. situations, and obviously a, a contrast to your Barretts, to your Clouds, to your Aerith, to everyone else, and put yeah. them all together, they actually have like even between Aerith and Cloud or whoever there's a huge different tone in performance and character and all the rest of it it's, yeah. and so you kind of just have to like allow yourself to be like up here with it mm -hmm. because that's like that's what the game demands it's useless yeah. if everyone's sort of sitting on the same level in the same plane in the same voice register yeah they really in terms of each character they fill i wouldn't even call it an archetype or a stereotype but it's it's kind of like in a group of friends there's always a person who fills that certain role and right. they bring that certain energy to what becomes a great friendship or a great team or a great collaboration every you know all the classic um groups of of movies where they have these different bits i think of a lot of the different war movies you know there's always like that one character who's the rowdy rambunctious guy who runs in guns a blazing and then there's the guy who's the strategic guy who's like no 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 we gotta rein it in here and hold it back and I yeah. think that that always creates a beautiful camaraderie, collaboration, and for the audience, it allows people to find that person within the group to say, "I relate to that person, and that's my person." Right, exactly. And this, like, this is—I mean, it, I mean, at the end of the day, it's sort of classic storytelling. We've had these. It's probably fair to say, sort of archetypes to an extent. We've had these going all the way back, to, like to Shakespeare, to Greeks. Sure. You've had your fools, you've had your this, and you've had your that. And yeah, because event someone will relate to each, and yeah. um, and like Kate Sith's a, a weird one because, I mean, I didn't, I deliberately stayed away from kind of, 
I stayed away from Google. Let's put it that way for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, because inevitably there's going to be people that don't like that, you know, that's not his favorite character or whatever. And there's some sure. people that is his favorite, but for every person you're finding saying, Oh my God, love Kate Seth. There's yeah. someone saying, that weird character is really annoying. <laughs> All right. It's like, I'm not going to win you over. So that's yeah. <laughs> I, I, I totally resonate with that. I just played a character very, and I, I did a, a tweet about this recently because I think, and I think it might be a similar situation for you if that's something that you were um, either being hesitant of or, or preemptive of. I, I played this character in a game called Persona 3 and they there's like these side characters and within like the rankings of side characters... Um, he was like one of the most hated, like that in terms of people, what they liked, they, they hated this character the most, but for me and what I was hoping to do was to create, um, because the, the first game, it's a remake. It's very similar situation. It was a remake. Uh And I was in, in the remake, there's no voice acting. So it was hard to kind of humanize this character who on, on paper is saying all these really kind of like annoying, obnoxious um, everything in his background, he like is a part of a cult and everything like that. Yeah. So <clears throat> I was really trying to find the humanity, the things that people could relate to and, and give that layer of, of humanity and empathy for the player to be like, okay, that person's not for me, but I can understand why he fits into this puzzle and sure. that they could appreciate that, um, part of the puzzle. So I, I totally understand, like, you're not going to win everybody over baby with that no, aspect no. of things. But I do feel like for Kate Sith, this is, um, I I think in the original game, I played it front to back so many times. As a kid, I didn't understand a lot about Kate Sith, but as I've gotten older, I came to like dig. I've I've researched this game so hard, and I've 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 looked in certain books that have like other information about him and stuff. And I really think and I hope, um, and I and I believe that we're gonna see more of of how Kate Sith fits into this puzzle that was maybe more enigmatic previously. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that he's he's someone that on a on a surface level can look like can just look like he's nothing but the comic relief and he's there yeah. to sort of be a bouncy sort of unpredictable energy probably irritating like barrett sometimes <laughs> <laughs> or whatever yeah. um but then when you listen to when you actually hear some of the lines in retrospect you know some of his whether it's his fortune tellings or whether it's his predictions or whatever there's a there's a lot going on there mm-hmm. and i think part of it obviously is not the you can play it up here as sort of just an off the cuff throwaway line and that's kind of what it should be because you don't want to sort of telegraph anyone to like you know this this is something you need to hear but yeah once you play play the game again you'll hear you know whether it's whether it was always going to be that whether it was fate whether it was a, a number of things but you can argue like ah oh, Oh, he was right. He just yeah. said it. In a, he just said it in a weird, weird way. Um, but and and that's the like that's the fun of it. And that's I suppose why you can play the game again and again and again. And the script is incredibly well written in the sense that these things are just layered in that you won't hear first time, second time, third time through. You think ah, oh, I was there yeah. all along. <laughs> it's from a, a lot of it was there in the original, but I think with remake they've really found a way to hone into parts of storytelling that didn't exist in the original but also it like you said gives that replayability and gives you that 
because you might miss certain things when you as you're going forward and forward and forward you're like oh wait 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 I want to go back and see I had that experience playing remake where right. I was like my first playthrough of the first one I was like wait a second does that mean this I need to go back to that chapter and figure out yeah. if that's what that meant so I'm really excited for that and um within and I I speak I I spoke with uh Brianna White, I spoke with Caleb, yeah. so Zach and Aerith already, and I, I referenced a couple of things from the original game, because that's all I really want to base, <laughs> you know, speculation on here for, <laughs> sure. for this game without being a spoiler territory. But in the first game, uh, the original game, you know, Kate Sith, like you're saying, I think there are moments where he he is so crucial to the storytelling, and that element of levity that he creates allows for breathing within such that darkness mm-hmm. that exists so yeah. like to your point that you were saying did you feel like did, did you did was it a challenge for you to take those moments of of whether they exist or not at any point in the story where there's something serious going on to not lean into like i'm just trying to joke around but play the truth of those moments um whatever they might be to to not lean into like i'm just a jokester Ah, yeah, that's a, that's a very, very good question. And, I mean, the, the weird thing was, so, yeah, so sort of from the start, um, from sort of getting this character, I was kind of, I was learning as I went along. I, the, I, as I say, I didn't look back too much at what he was before. And I knew enough about, I knew enough about the creation of him, sort of yeah. just to not say any more, that he's a kind of, it's a weird one where he doesn't necessarily have to you don't need to go into a lot of research of, of backstory of what this person's relationships might be because let's say he's only existed from a certain point or whatever, sure. you know, and or or he's just not met any of these characters before. So he's very much living he comes in at a point in the journey, very much present to the situation that's going on and just lives and exists in a very, very present moment. Yeah. So to speak. I suppose like everyone else does as well, but not necessarily with the with the structured or backstory relationship that maybe Aerith has with Cloud or with Barrett has with whoever or that Red mm-hmm. has with whoever's history. So, and again, I was very much kind of letting uh, Kirk and Ryan and Ben sort of lead the way. And they would give me context for the things that, you know, for, for the situation I was in, where we were on the journey and stuff like that. Yeah. But it, it was very much a uh, an exercise in just kind of as sort of actor speak as it sounds very much just kind of playing a moment because that's all you can do sometimes i wouldn't have yeah. the context either or like the the entire context of what's going on or they would change yeah. a line and as much as i could understand it's like okay cool we're in we're here or we're there or we're talking about this thing you're very much sort of putting your hands in the face of or putting your hands in the trust of your editors, directors, and everyone else to sort of like put that through. Yeah. And I often when I was recording, I think because of that, because it was very new to me, I don't know if this was the same for you, but they would give a you would do like an you do like three takes in a row. Yep. So they'd like an A, B, and a C. And I would make a conscious effort of really trying not to uh redo the same version of the line twice. Yes. So I would kind of, and it's like brain-wise, it's it's kind of a real sort of stamina exercise because you're there for a big long session in the booth. 
you've got this one line you're listening to the japanese twice and then you've just like on the spot you've kind of got like give three different versions of this yep. line mm-hmm. um but it did stop me from i think choosing it's like the, oh, this line has to be done this way this way yeah. so you do it that you so i would do it one and then i would try and go in a completely opposite direction and then maybe hit middle ground or do something completely off piste as well and then and then let them choose because they yeah. were the ones that knew the context and there was times when kirk would be like oh i think i think i'm a fan of b and ryan is like ah really as ah I was going for A. <laughs> and I would <laughs> just is, sit back and let them fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is, I mean, such a, from an, an acting perspective, you know, someone from Elick who's done TV and has done film stuff in voiceover, it really is present as the actor to be like, there isn't necessarily the right way to do something because right. you're giving it three ways, sometimes more, and there's changes being made. And for the client might want one thing, the director might want want one thing, yeah. you might feel a certain way versus one thing, and it just, it challenges you, how can I create variance but still have truth to this line um, in this moment? Yeah, exactly. And you know there's like, there's a box that you're, there's a box that you're sitting in, like, yes. there's some lines, that there's some versions of it that just won't make sense, but you're right, and like, the intention can still be the same th- in three different ways, and I think that Focusing on that sort of took me off from uh, trying to sort of have entire control of the story, so to speak, Mm. or entire control of the tone. Because at the end of the day, and it's the same in TV and film, you don't. And in the moment that you're shooting or you're recording this one bit, it's not your responsibility to tell the entire story. Because you've got sound, you've got the edit, you've got whatever's going on over there, which they're going to cut to. Yeah, or whatever. So, like, there's so many things that are out of your control that sort of you can only. I, I suppose you can only do so much. Yeah. But what does what was nice, I think, or the way I chose to do it relieved me from thinking, oh, I've got to land this tone on this way on this mood because mm. I think this is what it's meant to be because it might not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very true. And also, I think, I mean, very specifically, your character, I think. Um, the representation of your character in the localized version for the American audience, I mean, your character has, uh, I think, while it has the same energy as the Japanese, I mean, you're dealing with a character that has a Scottish action. You're you're yeah. Scottish, so I think that inherently, it from me listening as, to the Japanese, my character was very similar in tone and pace and, and, and all those things, so I would find moments where I'm like, all right, stop trying to be a copycat, stop trying to mimic exactly yeah, yeah. that thing, because... Um, for you, did you find that to be a little bit of a difference because there's not that, like, you're inherently going to sound a little bit different just based off of that, or no? Uh, yeah, to an extent. And also, because Kirk... And Kirk had mentioned to me, he said, with, especially with Kate Seth, he said there's the Japanese will go... At times, will go way more heightened than we want to go. And I think yes. that's just their style. And uh, so with that i was like okay cool so i need to match that and in terms of like you're not going to try and copy intonation i mean it would sound mental it's ridiculous i know yeah. but um but there was there were times i nearly fall into a trap because case sets and both i think the japanese and in my version a lot of his stuff sits in a higher register and you can kind of if you let yourself go there too much and you can fall into the Japanese, which is, can be very, very high sometimes. Yes. And sometimes Kirk would say like, oh, 
just break it down. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I had a very similar experience. I mean, not to the same extent, but they, yes, for anybody here who plays the Japanese or listens to the Japanese a lot of times in anime as well, the the heightened moments are oftentimes more expressive because that's much more common in that culture, and it makes sense for a lot of times. And for um, an, an English-speaking audience, sometimes it can be very jarring yeah, if that yeah. were to be the way we uh, played certain moments. So I do think that we have a challenge as dubbers, as localizers, to to ground a lot of moments when we can, um, even in those heightened states, like finding that middle ground of like, keeping that same energy but also yeah. playing the truth of it um not that they say that they're not doing that in japanese but to the, an english speaking um or english listening uh player it might yeah. be like oh that's why is that different here we're we're trying to make that make sense for a western audience um, who's used to more stuff that's not as um uh, uh, i would say musical or emotional in that capacity with our language yeah yeah I mean, did you find, were there any times when you kind of, when you, when your uh, version of it completely contrasted with what they, with what they were looking for? Or did you find yeah. you were normally sort of in the same, there, there were? Well, very similarly too, I, 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 I kind of spoke about this a little bit so far. You know, when I started doing my character, he's the, the rancher of the Chocobo stuff. So you come across yeah. him and he's telling you all about that. There's been clips of my character that have existed so I can talk about oh, that okay. safely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he, for me, it was that balance of, uh, very similarly, my character, he has a little bit of a twang to him without being someone who's fully committed to being like that is a southern character from like, you know, you could place him in some somewhere in America as a southern character. So there'd oh, be yeah. times where the Japanese is doing it a certain way, but within kind of that rancher style that an American audience might be familiar with. I might be pulling him a little bit more here and slower and more sophisticated in the way he talks. Yeah. And Kirk wet moments with times would be like, all right, we're, do we're, we're waxing a little too poetic here, you know, or times he'd be like, actually, that works here. So yeah, finding yeah. that middle ground for the version of my character that made sense for the story. But I'm sure that was very similar for you. Or am I wrong? No, the I mean, the weird thing, one of the scarier things, I think, for me was uh, for all that was saying, I was putting my trust um, completely in their hands there was also an element of I mean obviously they're sort of putting their trust in me but because because I have a Scottish accent sometimes they were very much letting me be the voice of authority <laughs> Sure. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't want this. <laughs> no, like, no, 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 really? no. <laughs> and and could, because obviously for them, um, here for their ear, obviously it's all going to sound um, completely le legitimately Scottish, and that's yes. fine. And I'm I'm sitting there trying to ride a very a very fine line that's sort of. Like at the end of the day, I knew that I was kind of sitting. They wanted the voice to be quite close to the person that had played it before, so I was already sure. kind of locked into a sort of a various a, a heightened pitch register and something yeah. that was kind of a bit further up, um, vocally wise, a bit more sing songy, and it, it, like there would be a danger of it falling into what Scottish people would hear as very much sort of like comic sing-song sure. Scottish that's like the classic stereotype. Yes. And um, and I'm sure every 
like every culture has that you know i'm sure there are people that live in parts of america like all right here we go the classic whatever yeah and um and so i didn't want to kind of uh yeah i while staying up there uh in a place that was very like all right guys how you doing let's go and he is very animated and you have to just buy into that but still yeah. trying to kind of keep it in a way that wasn't going to just annoy Scottish listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's such an interesting component, I think, for someone like you, especially when you are kind of the the authority of like, all right, yeah. I'm not familiar with if that's the way that that would sound or if someone would actually say that in an authentic way. But I, from what I have heard so far, and I think which is kind of, you know, I, I've played the other iterations of where uh, Kate Sith existed with voice acting and stuff. And while there are moments there, I do find very specifically in the very limited that we've heard in the trailers mm -hmm. and things so far in Rebirth, there is that groundedness that you bring to him, which I think is kind of um, is is paramount and endearing that allows I which I'm so excited for. I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited to see Kate Sith in this iteration because these games and specifically the remake series is so cinematic in the yeah, way that the storytelling yeah. is. It very much seems like a movie um, or a very uh, or a drama of yeah. of um, what we're familiar with on television or in theaters, um, which not to say that the other games didn't have elements of that, but it was it still was to a certain extent catered to like the video game kids playing audience yeah you yeah, know yeah. where this feels like it has very uh, and, and the other ones did too but it's it's filmed uh, drawn it's animated yeah. in a way that is very cinematic and dark and much mm -hmm. more mature uh, in nature because of the way that the, the shading is of the cities and the, uh -huh. and the town it's it's very dark at times um so i think that that is um welcomed when you bring that groundedness when you bring that cinematic read um did yeah. you feel that 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 had to like in your recording process it's, that that came up there were times i mean some of my favorite i think some of my favorite moments to record um were moments where we could find something that was like his more emotional stuff when he kind mm. of um strips a lot of his enthusiasm away and he's left with something very much kind of straight and plain the, sometimes uh, there was a couple of times when Kirk would say careful your your voice register is maybe slip, slipping slightly like a bit out of Kate um, yeah. but there were times when I was when I could just kind of like come up slightly closer to the mic and be a lot more kind of personable because I mean a lot of his stuff is very yeah. much sort of like jumping his moogle perform a fortune or this or that and you know he he <laughs> loves performing and so and and so he he's very comfortable there and then and so much of his stuff is action-packed or you know or whatever he's on the move or he's doing whatever and so the moments of stillness that you could find like oh those like and there were only small lines here and there but they were great yeah. and would relish them when you're like oh great let's sort of <laughs> just i get to be grounded it. a little bit more yeah. here and just <laughs> gotta speak my truth you know that's so fascinating i'm having a, i'm working on a project here right now where a character lives at the tippy top of my register right now yeah and i'm having that similar moment where the director is saying can you can you just brighten it up a little bit more? Can you go a little bit brighter with this moment? But it's a very serious moment. And I think even with, like, because he's a very young kid, this character I'm playing. And I think that from an audience perspective, it might they, they might be like, okay, that's not the voice or that's a little different. But I think in real life, 
when we get emotional, our voice timber changes sometimes. So oh, absolutely. I find that to be like a very natural thing, but I understand from a director's vision, they're like, I want this to be as consistent as possible. Yeah. But you know, yeah. like I have a very high voice. But there's times in life where I get very serious and I talk like this. And yeah, of course. You know, it's not always the same. So yeah. I'm always like, I'm like, but that felt really real to me. I'm like, <laughs> I thought that was a good take, you know. But I mean, I suppose also, though, there's like there's a, as, as we said before, there's a hundred ways of, of playing that moment. And sure. sometimes the I think there's probably times when I see some of the lines in context and I probably won't actually realize the depth of everything that was going on around me and but they wanted me to they would want me to stay at a certain point and maybe Kate Seth at that moment is very fun he's chipper he's animated and he's that it's a really really actually a serious situation going on mm. um but they need that just to sort of to contrast yes and again it comes down to sort of just putting your total faith in, in everyone that's creating this game and knows the nuance that they're looking for I mean also yeah. loads of the time you don't have even the visuals to go on so you don't even know like what the place is looking like that you're that you're in. Um Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a lot of faith in direction and the creatives and the producers. I think I was listening to another podcast recently and they were talking about that where as actors, sometimes we have ideas or we feel certain ways about things, but we don't know how that's going to play in the next moment or specifically in video right. games, how that's going to play against the animation. Um, so just because we feel <laughs> a truth and an honesty and a, uh, a sort of ownership over like, I really enjoyed that doesn't mean that it fits for what's best in that moment with all the moving pieces that are happening um, sure, at the same sure. time. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I would love to actually talk a little bit about your your upbringing and your background and how you got into yeah. all this stuff, because I mean, I, I, I got to do a, a little bit of a deep dive on you, which was really fun. You've got to be a part of some fantastic, like fantastic um, projects. You got to work on 1917. You got to work on yeah. The Crown, these really kind of gigantic properties as well in their own right, um, especially from like a BBC audience um, with with The Crown. I mean, that's like at the it's at the peak of like entertainment right now yeah yeah it was kind of weird i kind of forgot i mean i knew that obviously it was a it's a huge property but it was only when it came out and people coming out of the woodwork sort of messaging me that i hadn't heard from in years that i kind of forgot how far this <laughs> show that show traveled I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah my partner watches it like crazy and so like when i was sitting and i was watching your reel i was like do you remember the scene she was like oh yeah oh yeah hi, yeah yeah <laughs> that because you have a scene where you're uh asked to play the bagpipes yes um, yeah yeah the very last and, episode uh, yeah uh, how how was working on that project and with um um oh my god i'm, I'm this is Imelda my stonson Imelda stonson yeah, yeah my stonson. my ignorance was almost said dolores umbridge because i'm such a freaking american <laughs> um but how was it working with someone who is such a like fantastic actor but also the presence of her character in that scene you know what i mean like yeah. th it's like that's the peak of kind of authority i would imagine for um a character like you to experience yeah it was it was surreal i mean like imelda absolutely lovely i mean absolute tour de force of of an actor of course and so when you're working with someone like that you you of course you try and bring your a game and then you naturally are just elevated because the person you're working with is absolutely brilliant so yeah um but what was weird about the character she was playing was that uh, when I came to film, um, the queen had the queen had passed away, and so they were still like they were still filming after 
um, after that happened. And so I can't remember how many months it was, but it wasn't like too far gone. You know, it was still in very, very sort of recent, um, recent memory. Mm. And there was a weird thing that you're standing sort of, you're standing with her and in the back of your head, you're thinking, wow, this is, this is like the closest I will ever kind of get to meeting the the queen this person that would yeah. be with me my entire life and and part of like ever so many other people's lives and and for all that obviously like i'm there and amelda and i are, are chatting or whatever i mean she's brilliant she looks like her and i think for a lot of people on the set especially after um like straight after she'd passed away the queen had passed away there was that thing for a lot of the people on crew it was just kind of surreal of seeing this person that looks so like her and at the yeah. time that she was like when she passed away it's like the closest um you know it's not like we're looking at claire foy who's playing her back in her you know y- younger years um so it was it was really really bizarre and i remember um the last the last day I was filming, not in the main scene, but on the last shot of that last episode, um, and we were filming this cathedral, and the queen is sort of looking at her coffin, and it was also Amelda's like last day filming as well, oh. uh, or her second last day, and there was this silence around everywhere. Every time, every time the camera would sort of cut you didn't hear that sort of like complete hustle and bustle and noise and stuff that you normally hear after, you know, after a take's been done and everyone starts moving. It was weirdly just sort of like silent. And uh, it was surreal. But it it was a wonderful experience. And Stephen Daldry, the director, is uh, it was incredible and was very open just to sort of letting us sort of discover it. and it's weird when you're playing, when you're a day player or you're, you know, you're only on for like two or three days and you're walking into something and you kind of have to hit the ground running and yeah. you've not had the time building up the relationship with the director. I didn't even meet the director for, I didn't meet Stephen for an, for an audition. I self-taped and then I got it. Yeah. So like I landed on set on my first day of filming and then you're like, okay, sort of figure out what you're doing and, <laughs> and do it. So you're constantly playing catch up. Um, yeah. But, but that's sort of that's the life of t- so many of your jobs when you're not ne- when you're coming in and out and you're not necessarily in the thing for the entire thing you meet people have to get along with them very quickly find your mm-hmm. feet do it turn up deliver um my wife describes it as being a, like being a ninja you have to just yeah. go and <laughs> like nail it and get out <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I talk with a lot of younger actors or people who are starting um whether it be voiceover or on camera and stuff and um talking about the audition process and stuff and i think there used to be a time to a certain degree where you could kind of find the character like later on especially for like um tv or film where you'd like get rehearsal time or things like that in the theater you definitely have time to you know find whatever the piece is and Mm -hmm. and maybe your character too but with the self-tape world that we exist in now it's like you've got to be almost as close to what you're gonna do on set um when you get there because there's no time it's like you get in and like you said, you meet everybody right there and then, and it's like, all right, I want to see at least something very close to what you did in that self tape right right now. 
<laughs> can you imagine if you were just come in and be like try and get the director's attention but like, I've got an idea and they're like oh, okay what and you try it and you're like no you're like no 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 what you did dude I liked what you yeah. did can I get more of that yeah it's I, it, do you find that to be I mean it's very I think um, familiar to people who do a lot of uh, day players or guest stars mm-hmm. on things when you're not a part of that core crew where you maybe have the time to develop things do you find that challenging um to be kind of locked into a little bit of something or do you um find that like comforting to know that like i've already created the groundwork for a performance to a certain degree and i know i can do that so let me at least bring what i have there to set now today yeah uh, good question i think i mean i think it varies from job to job and i mean i, I can't i can't remember i can't actually i can't really remember the last time I had spent time developing the character with the director before I landed on set. I think the last mm-hmm. the, the last few jobs I've gotten from memory have all been from self tapes, and so you kind of yeah you land there, the wheels are already in motion, time is money, yeah. and I think my philosophy has changed a bit from when I was younger, when mm. I was so kind of eager to, uh, when you're so green and you're so eager to please in in some ways, and you just you're so desperate to deliver and my shift being like no director actually ever has the time to hold your hands they don't want that and so yeah. they they need someone like you've given them their tape they want you there they've asked you to be there and so they've already put their trust in you to come in and deliver so like so deliver and within that for all that it's you wish that you had the time and everything and that would be lovely to have more time and develop a character with the director and and the rest of the cast um, I th- things started to shift for me when I started to think okay well um, they don't want someone that they have to sort of direct they want to see the the ideas land they want to see someone they can work with so kind of be prepared turn up and and do it the unknown quantity for me is often not knowing what the other actors are going to be like um, and so yes. you can come in really, really wanting to play. And I love, I, I've had some great times when I've been able to improvise a bit with the actors. And for me, that's a very, very, very freeing thing. I appreciate for some, it's not. And it's a very, very daunting prospect and they've got their thing. And especially um, if if the story is being led through them. And that's the mm. other thing. I think the older I've gotten, I've realised sort of, my part within telling the story like it's not necessarily you were not necessarily following your character yeah and so you kind of have to service the story and yep. maybe it's not going to help for you firing off in all cylinders with loads of great ideas that are wonderful for you but not helpful for the person that you're actually following yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah but it's so it's, yeah, it's different from, from job to job. And again, because often I land on it, the director will meet me there and then I'm finding out the way that they work. And sometimes I'll be like, give us, give us a take where it's a bit more like this or a bit more like that. And you're like, okay, cool. Sometimes you don't even speak to the director between takes and you're sitting there mm-hmm. just sort of guessing. Like, was that, was that, was that all right? It's like, that going in? like, okay. <laughs> Imposter syndrome just sort of oh. like caves in around you. you know? Yeah. Do you still experience that kind of imposter syndrome? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. All, all the time. In fact, coming back to the crown, I remember we were doing that 
were doing that scene and um, Stephen came out uh, halfway through and they were setting up another shot or something and he came out and said um, he said you you play that really well and I thought or I thought he was talking about I thought he was trying to give me a note like that I was like you mean my my the character plays the bagpipes really well I should be more confident in that and he was like what no no, no, I don't give a hell about the bag face. I said, you played that really well. I'm like, oh, oh, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> even my own imposter syndrome, like me receiving a compliment then was Couldn't just like, it. it was no, it was, it was nothing was getting through that. And my brain was like, he's giving you a note. Take the note, oh take the note. Oh my he's gosh. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to give you a note. Just trying to say that the scene's going beautifully. And then I panic and crumble and try and crawl inside a bagpipe i don't know <laughs> oh my gosh i mean i resonate with that feeling so yeah. much and it doesn't matter what i do or who i've worked with it's still i and i also believe that that means you care a lot about the work that you're doing true um, but to a certain ask, extent but to, let me ask you this do you find do you have more panic when you're doing the job or just more at least with video games or with tv and film do you have more of a panic when you're doing the job or when the job is about to be released I, the most panic I have is day one. Um, day one for me is always the most stressful because I, I have this self-sabotaging thing in my brain where I believe that after day one, my agent's going to get a call and say, you know what? We got it wrong. It was the wrong Paul. We actually meant Paul Tinto to, <laughs> to play this role. And you sent me Paul Castro Jr. Um, so I actually don't believe I am going to be in the, the project yeah. until like day two happens. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah, day yeah. one becomes this really stressful thing because I know that um specifically in voiceover like uh at any moment they can change something it's all very like you're sending in a, an mp3 you don't really know um there's not many times a callback process or even on camera sometimes there's not a callback process um i think for tv and film stuff it is a little more of the when it gets released i think because um to a certain extent, that's giving your faith up to the directors, you know, like yeah. they have that that vision very much so in voiceover. Sometimes there's that guideline. So, you know, at the bare minimum, what it's kind of going to expect. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is it the same for you? Do you where do you find that the anxiety? Uh, it's, I think more and more. I'm, I, I mean, I love I love doing I love doing the work. I love being there. I mean, and Final Fantasy was I loved every time I was in that studio. It was I was completely in my happy place, and I had a, I had a great great time. Yeah. From no, for me the for me like there's maybe like a tough day, or in on TV and film, yeah, there's more of that nerve. But it's definitely when the thing's coming out, and I start the mm. the, the it starts to feed in. Like, did you do enough work? So like, <laughs> did, did you do is like did you prepare well enough is this all going to come crumbling down or are they not going to like you and really you didn't do enough work did you you didn't do your homework and you're like i did uh. i did <laughs> i definitely did <laughs> for you and maybe this is different with final fantasy versus on camera stuff but what do you kind of quantify as homework for when you get a role or you're uh, yeah. is the homework different from audition to booking does it change or how do you kind of navigate that world uh yeah i think that's again it's different job to job and mm. like once you've once we've gotten the part like there was something i was filming not too long ago that was all set around uh, northern ireland and the troubles in the 1970s and so yeah you're very much um you know i'm i'm researching 
things about that time and trying to find things that are going to be useful for me. I mean, it's yeah. funny, like, I think <clears throat> there's a dangerous, not dangerous, but I think there can be a, a blurred line sometimes between the preparation that's making you feel more comfortable because you think, well, as, as long as I've read all of this, then that must equal that my performance is going to be great yeah. versus actually finding the things that are useful for you and putting them into practicality. So at the end of the day, it probably wasn't going to be useful for me reading 20 books about the history of um, Northern Ireland because like most of that stuff's not going to be playable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so really you like you're looking at the scenes and then trying to sort of I don't know find what's going to be useful from there and obviously do service to especially when the real characters as well and or people that uh, that had those real jobs and knowing about that. But then that's different for something like Kate Seth where I mean I could have gone down the road of researching his entire history yeah um but again i kind of made the choice early on that i thought this is only going to this is only going to be useful to a certain point because he's um again not to sort of go into things that we may or may not know about his creation but we don't know his backstory in the same way that you know we can look at someone like Aerith or Cloud and maybe we can like bring things from their backstory into actionable yeah. things or useful things to be able to play the characters like I, I remember the addition file that I was sent uh, to, that they wanted a similar thing to and it's yeah. it's from uh, what's the game like Dirge Dirge of Cerberus yes right yeah and yes. he suddenly just like bursts out of this box <laughs> you know, yeah. or something and you're like oh, okay so this is the like this is the existence of this character or or yes. whatever, you know, so he's, his preparation is different in the way, like, I'm not sure, like, homework for Kate Sith for me was kind of finding where that fun voice was going to sit versus what his, let's say, what his outlook in the world may be like. Yes, um, yes, Because, yes. you know, we can ask, well, how, how much consciousness has he got exactly as, as, as a robot you know yeah <laughs> as, a, that's as an like, ai and, cat and so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think that's something that people are and again i think it's something i'm so excited for about your character specifically and about this game is i i know for certain within this game they've talked about it publicly you know there's definitely diff things that they're expanding upon i mean we're seeing characters that never existed within the final fantasy right. 7 series um that are coming from crisis core there's other mysterious characters that are coming through that we see in trailers we don't know who they are um so i think that they are they have the opportunity now to expand on certain things or clarify certain things or yeah. or give more moments to that they didn't have on that you know <laughs> three disc original game yeah, yeah, um yeah. which is exciting now to see like what is the backstory that we're landing on in this iteration of the game especially with your character that we've seen in the various different games but i think a lot of people have a lot of these questions they're like yeah. i want to know how they're going to explain this <laughs> or what is the logic behind this which is for me as a fan extremely exciting yeah absolutely i, I, I mean also though i think i think you might have mentioned this before in one of your other interviews but there's something or someone has maybe it was caleb i can't remember but someone mm. um talked about how i think part of the success of final fantasy 
has been that some things are going to be left unanswered and there's a mythic quality to some of the stuff that you can make your own mind up on yes um, but just like in life sometimes we're never going to know and uh, yes and so there is and obviously for kate seth there's a weariness of him within this within the group some yep. of them might warm to him others are like who is this guy that's just sort of rocked up and tagged himself along in our in our journey in our quest and so the the uncertainty or the ambiguity of his backstory or of his his existence is useful yes. um, and i think for a player for a player for that as well it's easier for them to access what the likes of barrett might be feeling like that same questioning and uncertainty because you don't know either and you're left yep. with just guessing like well yeah well what is his motive? What is his action? Where did he come from? What's what's the crack? <laughs> and I think that's the fun part about imagination. And, I, and, and, and yeah, like I remember, I, I don't know if this was the bit that you're talking about, but like when I was playing the original game, I'd had all these questions about was this character Zach? Is this, you know, like all these things that are not answered. As the audience member, that makes it like the desire and the want and the lust for yeah. answers makes it that much more enjoyable. Yeah. So it's a bit torturous in nature, <laughs> but it, I think that's what makes it's it's the stamp of a good story when you want to keep knowing more yeah. and the pursuit and the individuality of your own theories and finding the pieces to the puzzle that make sense for you and the theory crafting that just goes to show that you've done all the right things to create meaningful characters and meaningful moments that we all can interpret the ways that we want to that mean the most to us yeah. and then desire more and that's what creates great fandoms i think I, absolutely and also it's not necessarily to say that any of my theories of my character are any less valid than any other fan that's played it and like i suppose that is the amazing thing and if you were to if you were to make everything concrete you've kind of sort of blown apart like millions of different versions of the game that exist in millions of different people's heads and like surely you would want that yeah 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 exactly <laughs> For all that it's torturous sometimes but like, <laughs> that, it's incredible that you can create a, a, a mythic question or questions for loads of these characters and so every player has their own version of yep. that entire world that's that's personal to them and you've created millions of different stories it's, it's, it's amazing <laughs> i agree that's one of the most beautiful things i love about video games and storytelling in general and i would love to actually know too you know where did that love for storytelling come up for you did you have was storytelling a part of your life as a kid did you always want to be an actor how did all of this come to be to you pursuing right, yeah. um, this is a career um so i so i grew up um I, I grew up on a small island off the west coast of Scotland, the Isle of Arran, and uh, I there was always kind of like there was always a lot of arts in my house, like the arts, like there was my whoever playing music, or you know yeah. it was. I grew up in a small community. You could go and see uh, like plays and drama. They'd be like small village community stuff, but you know as yeah. a kid you just absorb it all, like pantomimes and stuff like that. Um, and do school shows like in, in primary school, like between like ages of five and 10, 11. But I originally, when I started to think about it, I originally wanted to work kind of behind camera. Um, and I think my brother was doing a university degree already and he was doing like a film studies course on the side and he was talking to me about this stuff. And I used to love watching the, 
you know, like in DVDs when you get the, the behind the scenes bonus mm-hmm. features and stuff like that, and watching the stuff that was filmed, the camera behind the camera, and seeing that atmosphere, I loved that. I was like, "Whoa, look at this world!" And you know, and and so like, okay, okay, action, and then you see a an actor like run into a, you know, run into a fake wall, and something yeah. explodes, and like, "Whoa, this world looks amazing." Um, and so I must have been, I don't know, fourteen or thirteen, fourteen when I said to my mum, like. I would, I would think I'd like to do this, and she said, "Well, you've got to start somewhere. You may as well go down to your local junior drama group and see if they've got any backstage work." I'm like, "All right." So I went down there, but they weren't rehearsing a play at the time, so the only thing to do was get involved in the drama games, mm-hmm. and you know we were sort of playing whatever games, and I wasn't afraid to like make a make an idiot of myself and sort of <laughs> just get up and sort of be daft or whatever and muck around and so when it came to sort of putting on a play the person that ran it was said are you sure are you sure you don't want to part because i think i think you might enjoy it i think you might be i think you might be good at it I'm like okay so uh so i did and so for i think from like the age of 14 i was hooked and then i was doing school shows and these small these drama festivals that would happen once a year on aaron each village or lots of villages would have their own one act play and you have an adjudicator uh-huh. that comes and like judges all the plays and you've got like all these awards like best play award best actor best actress and, and then you do the like school shows high sc- like the high school musicals and stuff like that and and then so i kind of went down that road we didn't have drama at school as a class like we didn't mm. have there was i had an amazing english teacher who you know there's always like i think that for everyone there's a couple of teachers that will the always stay in your head yeah. yeah and just really really influential and uh, she directed the school plays the school shows um and she then said i must have been about 16 and she suggested she wanted to audition for the national youth theater which was sort of you go down for a summer school go down to london and sort of work for two weeks and again i was like yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I feel like my entire life has just been one roller coaster of naivety that sort of, <laughs> you know, sort of leads you from one thing and then you land there and sort of figure it out in retrospect. Yeah. Um, but I did that and and I, I you had to audition and I and I got in and I was like, oh wow. So I did a two week summer school and then came back to sit my exams in high school and stuff like that. And then I thought I wanted to audition for drama school and i think this was a kind of like a worrying thing for my parents for all that they were so supportive mm-hmm. they'd my brothers my sister had gone to university they knew that kind of structure but this thing that's a, a drama school like what's that um and they spoke to my english teacher and said just be straight with us you know like we want to support paul but is this is this a pipe dream is this like what is this and she said mm-hmm. I said, for lots of people, I wouldn't, you know, suggest they do it. But I think Paul might, you know, I think he might have a chance. And so the school were so supportive of me. They would leave, oh. <clears throat> they would let me leave the islands uh, on school days and go and travel. You know, I'd get the ferry over to the mainland and then I'd travel to Glasgow or I'd travel down to London and I'd go and audition at these drama schools. And then I I got into uh, Lambda, <clears throat> the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. And yep. that was... <clears throat> I mean, I always had my sights set on on a drama school in Scotland. It was where I'd always wanted to go. And I wasn't going to London just for the sake of going to London. 
<clears throat> but there was something that really clicked with this drama school with me. I, I, I really felt at home there and I was kind of excited to sort of spread my wings a bit and sort of go to London. And so that was that. I was 18 and left this community of about 5,000 people and went to London. <laughs> and, um, do you, at that, <clears throat> that moment particularly, to, not to interject here, no, but um, do you remember those moments of like taking the ferry and those auditions and thinking of like, where am I going to go? Do you look back at those memories kind of like fondly or do they, were they anxiety driven? Were they exciting? Can you like, uh, no, do you remember those moments? Yeah, I do. I remember, I remember some of them and a lot of them. <clears throat> I mean, maybe I just remember weirdly the, the happier ones um and because i was lucky that i got into uh, i got into a few in the first the first few additions i did i would get mm -hmm. a recall and so it bolst it bolsters your confidence sure it set me up with some falls when i start swanning into a you know i swan into another drama school and then i would never even get a call back and you're like oh okay, yeah yeah so keep you grounded keep yourself grounded but i it was it was an exciting time and again i think i mean i was I was naive, I think, but happy to be so. I think, in retrospect, if if I knew the if I knew the weight, if I really, really appreciated the weight of what I was going into, in the same way that if I really knew the weight of what I was walking into with Kate Seth, I probably would have bottled the audition. Mm -hmm. um, I would have completely screwed it up, and I would have been thinking way too much about it. And mm -hmm. so, the, the the drama schools, yeah. I enjoyed going down there. I was I was doing these speeches again and again and again. I was enjoying getting direction. And then when I went to Lambda, it was it was I had a great three years. You know, again I was sort of naive. I was very green. I was eighteen, and I think I wouldn't say that. First of all, I wouldn't say that drama school is is the only route into mm -hmm. uh, into a career in acting. Like, absolutely not. I don't think it's for everyone. And there's a part of me that thinks if I'd gone there a little bit when I was a bit older, I probably would have gotten a bit more out of it because mm. I would have seen some things more objectively. Um, but that being said, I was 18 and I was just sort of like just devouring it all. And, and it I'd, I'd say that's probably when it went through waves. You st I started there and I went, I was quite confident again, just sort of eager and you're going off on sort of just your own self-belief. And then yeah. not that they intentionally ground you down, but of course you take knocks and you find that, you know, you haven't done your best work here or there or all the rest of it. And then once the industry, you start to hear this thing about, you know, agents and the industry Shifts and all of this. Bit, yeah. And it starts to kind of... <clears throat> that you know that potential poison that is a part if you're going to make a career out of it it's yeah. part of the thing but it's the one thing that once it starts to seep in and eventually naivety is taken over by either kind of anxiety or reality checks or maybe it doesn't go the right way for some people everyone obviously goes in expecting they're going to they're going to get the big agent they're going to fly off and do the, the, the all the amazing jobs that they wanted to do yeah and um and to be honest, for me, it was, I was lucky. I did come out with an agent, not the same agent I'm with now, but I came out with an agent. And I got a couple of small TV jobs and then managed to get a theatre job. And so for the first like year out of drama school, I worked. And then wow. I came back thinking like, oh, yeah, I've completely got this. Yeah. And then you have seven, eight, nine months unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, cool, cool. All right, this is, uh, th this is it. 
this is the reality of this is the reality and i was lucky mm. to have a, a, a nice start um in fact my first play i went around america um so it was it was i got to tour america with this successful show um it was lovely but yeah you the reality checks come thick and yeah. fast and i think that's when you start to sort of uh see whether you've got the whether you want to do it or not um, mm-hmm. you know. i mean that bit the business aspect for many people can kill a lot of their dreams or it yeah. can um it can hinder their ability to kind of keep doing the thing they love because they are kind of contrasting in nature the ability to be expressive and be vulnerable and express yourself as an artist and then also finding a way to navigate this thing that's very much like money driven and yeah, yeah. uh brand driven and and figuring out the the balance that allows you to keep pursuing this career um at a, in a healthy way that allows you to keep being expressive yeah, yeah. um was your education did you did you guys focus solely on theater stuff or was it shakespeare driven classics driven did they prepare you for tv and film like what was the education kind of like for you that prepared yeah, you for uh, getting the agent and working yeah i mean they 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 were definitely they they were definitely a classical school and mm-hmm. they kind of prided themselves in that and they had a tv and filming class that you would hit in your second year it's a lot better now than what it was when i was there not to take that away necessarily from the teachers that were trying to do good work there but yeah. it it wasn't you it wasn't going to prepare you for the, uh, the world of tv i mean and not i don't know if i don't know if any like training can um yeah. <laughs> and to, yeah. to you know especially for tv and film when it's when it's a completely like the reality of it is just you can't i don't think you can really recreate all of the circumstances that you're going to sort of encounter it's impossible <laughs> it is impossible so yeah and you can apply you can apply all the acting techniques and stuff and you can have sort of like camera technique and you start to know what you're doing but nothing's going to prepare you for that first job like absolutely mm-hmm. but it was quite uh they 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 prided themselves on trying to get quite a round training they wouldn't they weren't a school that said it's this methodology and this is what you're going to do um they tended to have teachers from lots of different practices and so you were essentially kind of coming out for better or for worse with a toolbox of things that would were useful for you and things that weren't useful for you you wouldn't you know you wouldn't use them um some people would really really start to enjoy their physical theater classes clowning classes and stuff and being able to apply that into uh into aspects of tv film or theater whereas some people would love going down the road of stanislavski or yeah or whoever so it was yeah it was really rounded there were some classes that were looking back at it now that i've never used since yeah. and you know and if i was ever to use them there would definitely be uh someone there to teach you like the stuff like classical old english dance for example like, <laughs> never, <laughs> never use that and uh I mean, they tell but, you it, it it's good for your um uh it, it reinforces your ability to learn or to yeah yeah adapt structure <laughs> i'm like sure okay sure 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 it was just, yeah it was it was a nice fun skiving class but again if i was ever to be in like a period sort of elizabethan film there's going to be a teacher on there that's going to train you that stuff for that thing. yeah but um and equally with voiceover we we didn't i mean i was 10 what was i I was about 10 years 
or between eight and ten years out of drama school before I even sort of thought of get thought of looking into this thing that was voiceover. My friend was like, "Mate, it's get involved. It's this money for old rope. <laughs> Do some commercials." You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "All right." But then finding an agent is, is hard as well and you put your reel together and again it's shooting into the dark and you're just sort mm -hmm. of like please listen to my stuff, please listen to my stuff and luckily someone did pick me up um, and uh, I, and then they within two years I hadn't really gotten much work and they were all leaving and someone else was coming in to take over the agency and I scary yeah yeah and I hadn't really been booking much work anyway and it was very clear that like the agent wasn't really interested in me it was lovely to be in an agency with stars and, and famous people alongside that that kind of gives you a bit of fake confidence when you feel you need it but mm -hmm. um the person taking over the agency was very much sort of like focused on the stars and I wasn't bringing in the bank to make them really sort of uh focus on me but just before I left I managed to book one kind of commercial which sort of ended up rolling on and allowed me to sort of go to I moved back up to Scotland and I found a Scottish agent and that was that took me on and the best like the best decision I ever made sort of leaving the big high classy agency and coming to somewhere that maybe wasn't seen as prestigious but they were yeah. getting a lot of the Scottish work um, you know, and there's only so many people that can compete with James McAvoy or Billy yeah. Boyd or, you know, these these people. Um, if I had had that same agent, I probably wouldn't have gotten the Kate Sith thing come through. Wow. Um, probably not. That's crazy. So, OK. Uh, and just just for me to understand. So after after drama school, yeah. you stayed in London and you lived in London for a bit. And then you and, and then how long was that period before you moved back? And do you still live in, in that Scotland was? Right now? Yeah. So that was about 10. I was probably close to 10 years. So I graduated in 2010 and I left in 2020. So okay. I left London 2020 and. I think I'd planned, the plan was, before the pandemic hit, the plan, I, I'd made my mind up that I was going to move up to Scotland. I was lucky enough to be able to maybe afford somewhere in, in Scotland. Um, but London, and I love London, I think it's a great city and loads of my friends live there, but I was starting to recognise that it was, I think I'd always seen it as a bit of a stepping stone and this stepping stone was getting wider and wider and wider when you realise that the the notion of maybe trying to afford a place in somewhere like London on 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 an actor's wage, even if you do land a brilliant job, having yeah. a bank sort of like look at your erratic like <laughs> your erratic wages and trust you on a mortgage, it's it's so it felt so unlikely at the time, and I think I felt I was I was working one time with a with an actor, um, a quite a successful actor in this play. And I asked him, assuming he lived in London, I was like, where in London do you live? And he was like, oh, I don't live in London. And uh, he, he told me he lived out somewhere in the countryside. And uh, he, the way he was talking about his life and work, he was saying that essentially if he has to come to London, they'll pay him to come to London. Yep. And um, I started to think, oh, so I think this is maybe the sort of, this is where I would like to sort of like put my, like, 
place of success not wanting to be able to afford a life in london and spend all my time chasing the mortgage of london but yeah having a quality of life somewhere that i actually want to be and and then let work take me wherever it wants to take me and so that's when i decided um i think the start like just before 2020 i was like yeah i'm going to move out and then the pandemic hit and so that just kind of escalated things. I went back up, stayed with my parents for the first few months of the pandemic and then bought a flat in Glasgow. And again, like I think one of the, it was a great decision. It was a scary decision, I think, because yeah. there's something that I think big cities have, especially big cities that are involved in your career. And I think like yep. LA is kind of the same. If I think for a lot of people, if you were to choose to leave la or london after being there for long enough you would start to feel as if you're you would you could be forgiven for thinking you're failing in your career because yeah. you're automatic you're thinking oh, i haven't made it here so and i have to move out which is a fallacy and it's something that london has over lots of people where you feel like you have to be there to be successful and mm-hmm. if you're not there then you're clearly not achieving in your career which is nonsense and i think a lot of people will probably feel the same for for la i i spend um i live part of my time out in la now because my wife uh, my wife's american so i've started to see this the same thing happen yeah um and it's uh i think it can be a, a, a death knell for for lots of people because you start to sort of equate your quality of life purely with the trajectory your career is going on and yep. i think a lot of the time it probably doesn't even breed your best work um because you're stuck in a in a rat race and don't get me wrong yeah. there's a lot of people that, that love it and and they make it work and they love the city energy and i do enjoy coming back to london as a as a holiday city i go and see my friends but when i moved out <clears throat> um all of the things i thought were going to be the case like oh no and my work is going to dry up or this that and the next thing or the part-time work that i had managed to find that I was able to drop at the you know at short notice yeah. all of those links are made in london i think oh no i've not got them um but weirdly what happened i went to glasgow and uh work had never been better and it was they were the first years that i was supporting myself purely as a creative artist that's it's, amazing it's bizarre to think i actually had to leave the city i thought would give me that to to achieve that <laughs> wow I mean, uh, gosh, it's, you, you said so much important stuff right there and, and a couple of different things I'd love to touch upon is, I mean, I experienced a little bit of a similar thing. I moved from New York. I lived in New York for a decade and I moved to L.A. Um, and you know, now I'm going to point my life with my partner where we're like, you know, fantasizing about having a home out here in Los Angeles or even the surrounding areas <laughs> is like it's it's near impossible with the housing market right now you yeah, know this, these fantasy. are conversations <laughs> it's it's like it's like how do you do it you know yeah, you become yeah. a millionaire to live in a ranch style three bedroom home if you want to live in Los Angeles to a certain degree um and then you you start thinking about that fear like you're saying where if you leave this place um it's going to remove me but I've noticed I I live even away from the city. I live in like the valley, which is still a bit removed from like the big Hollywood areas. Yeah. And I'm noticing um to the the a little bit of the extent where it gives you a bit of the freedom when your quality of when you can when you can create stability that is not dependent upon your success monetarily as an artist and you can just start enjoying life and experiencing life and appreciating the flowers and nature and mm-hmm. friendships mm-hmm. and family 
I have found the more that I have focused on that now and, you know, the older I've gotten, the more motivated and more inspired I am as an artist. Yeah, yeah. I feel like when I'm punching the grindstone as the artist, that's the more when anxiety is in the driver's seat and fear and... All of things that don't allow you to book things, you know, yeah. when you can smell the desperation, when you can smell the like, I need this or I can't yeah, yeah, pay yeah. my rent yeah, to yeah. live here in this, uh, you know, lux- you know, luxury area um, of living. So it's a fast, it's a fascinating to, uh, thing to, to hear that from you and how it led you to success. But also now the world has changed and maybe it's different in Europe, um, but I think it's I would imagine it's similar where. You know, voiceover you can do from anywhere. You can audition from right. anywhere. <clears throat> yeah. On camera, you can send in a self-tape from anywhere. So yeah. if you're able to kind of assemble that team and figure out the way to make that stuff work, maybe that does require a little bit of time investment in the cities, yeah. um, you, you know, to make those connections, to, to show faith to the people that you want to work with. Like, I'm going to show up, I'm going to perform, I'm going to mm-hmm. deliver, I'm competitive. Um, but I don't think it is dependent, and we see that with celebrities all the time. You know, you don't need to be a servant to the big city and the the drainage no, of no. all that that has. No, and you're right. And I think especially since the I think especially since COVID and the pandemic, there has been a completely different outlook in in the necessity to live in some of these big, big, big built up places where we always thought were the epicenters of where everything's going on. Yeah. And and there's pros and cons to both. I think it's I think it's amazing that the like the the cost of technology plus the different mindset has been able to democratize um, to a much greater extent, the ability for people that wouldn't necessarily have the um, the opportunity or the avenues into these career paths before, and it's the same with drama school. Like the fact that we now have social media and then people like in- Instagrams, like the like you're, you're like an amazing sort of sh- showcase platform that you know if you want to do it that way you can, and people pick up work and don't have to go to three years to drama school to do that. You know, there's yep. loads and loads of different opportunities out there. Um, I think that it's, I mean, I, it's, I guess it's, it's horses for courses. I I like being able to sort of... Wait, what's, what was that expression? I've never heard that. Oh, horses for courses. It's kind of just no. like, it's, it's for, you know... Um, I, I, you know you have a phrase and then you're like oh it's horses for courses and you'll just try and sort of describe <laughs> it yeah. um, everyone uh, it's different for everyone you know there's, okay. uh, things will suit people differently it's funny actually <laughs> coming back to a Final Fantasy thing and something I'm huge huge credit to Ryan for and the script writers and the script supervisors there they made a real real effort to try and get proper um, sort of Scottish sayings into oh. into Kate Seth's stuff, so there was times I'd be reading that, and I was like, I would not have expected um like that like this word to come up. I'm like, what? Sometimes they're really obscure, and I don't know where they were getting the research from. But uh, I was like, and he said, have you never heard that? Like, it might be really niche, but I've not. And Ryan was like, well, okay, let's you know scrap it then. If you scrap it, it. scrap it. <laughs> but hopefully, I'm hoping that. And there was times that they would ask me, it's like, would you want to? Is there another word or is there another thing? And I would sort of like throw in a a random Scottish word. And they're like, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm really, really hoping, especially for Scottish fans, they might hear some words that for for another audience, like, I don't know what that means, but 
up for Scottish people that were like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing! I'm, I'm sorry sorry to have interrupted what you were saying, though, but that is fantastic, and I hope no, no, that that, that is I the case. No, no, I think it was me. I, I say tracks myself. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Um, my gosh, I can't, right? You were, you were uh, Yes, it was, so talking about, like, the, the balance of, like, city life, depending on where you want to live, <clears throat> and, yeah. and the opportunities for that. Again, people... Like some people thrive off a certain energy and they want to be there and that's great. It's real. And and absolutely. And I've realized I think I'm someone that gravitates towards that thing of wanting to enjoy other aspects of my life that aren't necessarily accessible within the confines of a quite a big expensive city. And I yeah. think I'm similar to you in the sense that re- weirdly my work is better um when it's not doesn't feel like the be all and end all of my life now i mean this comes into a much bigger like political argument of the fact that how can like, how can anyone be expected to perform at their best when uh, like most of the real estate of your brain is being taken up with how do i pay next month's rent how do i pay the bills and like somewhere like la is is horrendous for that because you it's if that's always the preoccupation in your mind then how can you ever be expected to be creatively sort of vibrant and fluid and walk in as if sort of like everything's great and and i mean talking about things like a housing market and stuff like that it's it's tricky when sort of the the price of LA or the price of London just kind of continues to go up and up and up and up and up. Yeah, and that and... was <laughs> and, and historically I mean we're 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 talking about artists that used to live in New York City, live in London, live in uh Los Angeles or the surrounding areas. These were places where artists were able to find it wasn't this kind of luxury place. It was like these little hubs where artists were living on like small means, you know, in an apartment with your friends and guitars and things. And it's like, even yeah. now that's not the case anymore. So it is reshaping the, the arts and, and the industry because as an artist, you know, used to, it used to be like a haven going and living in New York city. You know, you yeah. get rent for a couple hundred bucks a month or whatever. And now it's like, everybody wants to live in these hubs and now yeah. they're in, in, in impossible to live there. So how that's going to affect the and end with the competition and accessibility now where, you know, I, I believe I could be wrong here, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Not everybody had the same like because social media didn't exist. It wasn't like in your face all the time. Like you could be um, an actor. It's just the, the snap of your fingers. Yeah. Um, you know, it's and now it seems like it's so possible, which it is to a certain degree, yeah. but it's so competitive and there's so much while there is more work, there's more people pursuing it. So I feel like there's less food at the table um, to have a sustainable career. Yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely sort of two. There's a glass half full and a glass half empty version. Absolutely. Or, or yes. more just kind of the there are always going to be pros and cons with it. And, and I think alongside alongside what you're saying which i think is true for all that there's the accessibility there the plugging of this dream has also become um a a lot stronger as well because it does feel more uh accessible yeah but you're right the work there's not as much work going there i think there was a like tv is an interesting example where we did seem as if we were kind of like going through this 
going through this heyday of, of TV and there was like loads and loads of work and people would say with all these streaming platforms man there must be loads of work for you right now this must be amazing and like, yeah you'd, you'd think <laughs> it's weird <laughs> it doesn't it, yeah. bizarrely, it doesn't seem to be going that way um, and I think that there's I don't know like I wonder if there's at least in TV and film if there's a bubble that's going to burst I think there's already studios especially in LA I think look, studios are already like tightening their yep. tightening their belt buckles and and it's not just for actors it's for writers as well and yep. you know there's less and less stuff that's being made more money is getting put into less stuff so you keep that high end quality actors get you know big famous actors get big fees which they can demand and then, but weirdly, there does seem to be this gap where even the independent movie now costs upwards of however many, like tens of millions. Yeah. And so, you know, like, the range isn't there in the same way, oddly. Yeah, and we're, and we're seeing even from an independent film perspective, um, you know, historically, you think about the movies that went to Sundance, they weren't starring, you know, all these big celebrities, but now to even have a, comp- a competitive um, way into the film market, it requires you to have a larger budget and have celebrities because that's the standard. You know, like independent film is not independent film the way it has historically been written. You know, it's yeah, not yeah, about yeah. a bunch of friends making a, a a quick movie on their um you know their Panavision camera or whatever it was. It's it's now a very fine tuned ship usually with celebrities and yeah. um it's it's just not the same so i am curious to see where the industry goes i will take the glass half full option and say that it's going to require more perseverance and resistant or uh, resilience from from actors and i think yeah. ultimately it will it'll it'll show you while it seems very accessible on social media and the internet it's going to take a real um passion that i think some people might have um skipped you know when you a, a, a enter into this industry from different means. I think when you start with a love of storytelling and whether that's art, drama, you know, you've lived that life that has those elements to it that you appreciate and value, that can push you through those storms of I need to do this, I want to do this, I want to be a part of the system versus like... I saw all these people on Instagram. They're now famous, and that's not happening to me. What's going on here? Ah, I'm gonna try something yeah, different. Yeah. You know, I know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, social media is is a really, really weird one because there's, you know, there are elements of fame that people are experiencing <clears throat> that maybe people of at least of my age just like I'm sure there are there are celebrities on TikTok that I have no idea exist and they earn <laughs> more money than uh, than some of the most famous actors that that I know of. And yep. I mean, inevitably, things are changing. And I don't think that I, I don't like. I, I think we're at a time when the industry doesn't even know, or what we like to call the industry, doesn't even know the direction that it kind of wants to go in for its most lucrative market. I mean, I would love to think that there's, you know, especially within cinema, there's going to be a a, a renaissance of in something that makes film feel cinema going like more like vinyl. So people actually do come back to it they realize they do want a certain thing technology will continue to grow and there will be amazing sort of like technological advances and big blockbuster films there will always be the people that want to kind of keep things more rooted in something that for they that they feel more traditional but maybe you know maybe streaming platforms will appear that are just people 
doing things, filming things on iPhones again and filming things on, on Androids, making small budget movies and a market grows from that. I mean, because that's the thing. It yeah. only takes... The good thing about social media and the good thing about the internet is it only takes sort of uh, one good piece of work, regardless of that, to catch the fire. And you don't need... To, the marketing cost isn't isn't necessarily completely um, needed. All it oh, takes yeah. is like a few people to love it on one social media platform. It can explode. And and then you've got something that would never have existed within the realms of the normal studio um, shape because yes, they would have yes. never given it the time of day or whatever. And I that's the beautiful part about social media, I think. And that's the beautiful part about the internet is where, I, and I obviously there's a lot of people, I was just talking about this with somebody where, you know, the old model of marketing movies and entertainment was you got to have the billboard, you got to have the, the, the print things, and you got to have various different ways of marketing these movies where that's not necessarily where every audience is. Sometimes yeah, yeah. it's just about posting something on Instagram. Sometimes it's about doing a collaboration with somebody. It's, it's There's various different ways where it, it, it's not – the model is changing for better and not necessarily worse, but for difference. You know, For, for certain things, it's, it's, it's different, and I, I think that's wonderful. I think that's beautiful. I think – um, we all have the capability in our hands to make a movie, which like that that wasn't necessarily the way it was, um, and it that's empowering, I think, to people yeah. who want to be artists in a time where, as two people here who are experiencing the the career where you have those moments of lulls and you have those moments of, sure. of, of feasting, where like it it is tough, and I like to I I I do love to present that reality because it's. I never want to give the false impression to somebody to pursue this industry and be like, yeah, we, we, we can do all these things. We all have these, these capabilities, but, yeah, yeah. and you're going to pay your rent every month. It's like, <laughs> I, I, I spent so many months being like, am I going to pay my rent this month? Please tell me I am, you know? <laughs> so that every reality does exist to a certain yeah. degree. And the worst thing I think that a lot of, and it happens sometimes with the universities is that, that reality isn't like touched upon because it's a little scary mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. to be like you know you got to really work harder find different means of, of making money sometimes um because yes we all want to celebrate the glamour and the jobs and the the big things but it's like to to build a career as an artist takes you know again putting naivete sometimes putting yeah. yourself in the right place trying things and just keep putting your your, your name in the ring so um yeah you know i mean i think it's interesting i think i mean i my I think my shift now has definitely changed in terms of what I what I'm looking for or what I thought I wanted out of the industry. I mean, there was definitely a time when I thought, yeah, I'm gonna go and be in loads of movies and blah 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 and this and that, and I want to be like this actor and all the rest of it. And now, now I I spend I don't spend as much to, I don't spend as many mornings waking up kind of dreaming of a part that I would love to play anymore. I I wake up thinking more about the thing I would like to create. And ah. I think a lot, I think it's maybe a lot for actors for that because they, they do within them have this element of wanting to kind of have some sort of control over yeah. what they do. And so, and possibly part of it's, it for me is because my, uh, my wife's just a screenwriter. So, so I kind of see things on a different side of the industry, but even before we met, I'd started to see a shift in my aspiration of being an, uh, an actor versus my aspiration of actually being someone that's uh, a creator and a collaborator. And weirdly that is, 
that's I feel that's more healthy for my brain, at least. Sort of. Yes. It feels much more fulfilling to think, oh wow, think of this interesting story. What about this interesting thing? Don't get me wrong. There's a very, very hard market to getting things made, <laughs> but it feels more satisfying rather than sort of trying to kind of just call up every casting director and being like, "What's going on? Can you see me for this?" <laughs> I don't know. Put me in your thing. No, my partner is also a screenwriter, and the times that I find my, you know, I, I'm human like everybody else, and I experience those lows just like a lot of many other actors do. But I find my most enjoyment similarly when I'm working with her on a project, creating right. a story. Whether that's something I can act in or not, when I am using my actor brain to figure out what is the most compelling story that I want to tell right now, you know, through writing, um, even though most of the time it's like me helping her write rather than me of equal value writing. It's like (laughs) she's got the better ideas, but there's moments where I'm able to sit in the passenger seat and contribute in very helpful ways. And I find those so rewarding as an artist, as a storyteller, because it's... um, you know, like like we said, there's not as much stuff to do. There's definitely more of us trying to do things, even from a theater perspective. It's much harder just to like pop into a theater and put something up nowadays mm-hmm. because there's so many, there's so much competition. And, um, and to a certain degree, right now, I mean, I don't know actually. I mean, you've done a ton of theater. Are you still pursuing theater? Is that something that still is something you want to pursue? Yeah, and, it, it, yeah? it comes up. I mean, I think um, I, I'm I'm at a place now where uh, I know that. If if there are things that are right for me, I'm con- confident that my sort of sort of whatever's going to come to me will come through my agent, and that's fine. Not that I'm definitely not that I'm going to be seen for like there's loads of things that are out of my reach, and that's yeah. fine. And I love doing, I do love doing theatre, but I, I I think I'm more, um, I, I've become more selective with it. Um, part I guess partly because like at the end of the day, it's it's the it's a harder it's it's harder to sustain your living on it and i think for yes. lots of people when they are doing theater then they are accepting that they're going to have a they're going to have a great time and it's going to be a wonderful job you, you might be taking a financial hit to do it yes. um and i mean i've been very lucky where i've had a career that's spanned lots of different facets you know i've you know i've had years where i've done a play and then i've gone on to you know actually even last i think when was it last year I was still recording Kate Seth. I was doing a play and then I went straight on to film The Crown and then something else. So like I had this lovely sort of six months where I was having this completely sort of polar opposite different experiences within working in theatre, being at a microphone, recording for a video game and then jumping onto a set. Those yeah. don't come across, though for me, at least, those <laughs> don't happen very often. But it yes. was, and I don't think I probably recognised it at the time. But I'm thinking back, and I was like, "Oh wow, that was that was like quite a thing." It's um, a bit of a wave, a, a little bit of a roller coaster, yeah. Wave. But uh, I, I, no, I do enjoy, I do enjoy doing theatre. But I enjoy having the, uh, I think, especially now with theatre, what I've learned is, I enjoy working with people that I've, I guess, worked with before, or at least people that I can trust. I've had a few experiences now where I've been working with one particular director who I love and we're we're good friends and we work so well together and I have the best time. And so I'm like five, it's like, cool, the, the, like, financially it might not be amazing, but I'm going to have an amazing time for five weeks. In fact, I was doing a play when I auditioned for this 
for for KSET in the first place and uh, she was very kind enough to let me off to go and uh, do the recall um, <sighs> but uh, but I've also had a couple of experiences with theatre where like I've not clicked with the director and then it's yeah. a long it's a long five, <laughs> four, three or however like, it's a long time to rehearse and then yeah. if the play's not good you're like oh boy um, so I guess that's the same you can be that could be the same with any job though I guess sure I, I, yeah know, video games TV um, it would have been a long the commitment's period. just way longer in a theater. <laughs> yeah, or um, I guess you, I guess you feel it more. I mean, I, I've not had. Have you ever had an experience um, in a video game where you've t- struggled to connect um, with the director? Yes, very much so. I yeah. <laughs> bet those days feel hard <laughs> many times. Well, I also think I also think I, the thing about interesting that about like video games and voiceover is that sometimes. Uh, I'm finding this, this is my uh, subjective opinion, there are times that um, in video games there are directors who weren't necessarily, like their dream wasn't to become a director. They were an actor Mm -hmm. that found themselves in an opportunity to be a director, which sometimes works out beautifully and I have some of my favorite experiences are, you know, Kirk is is an actor himself and he's a fantastic director. There's other times where there's someone like, I want to be a director and then they find themselves in the voiceover medium. Um, There's other times where it's not that case and it just so happens to be someone who is, um, more, and I understand the time crunch too, but they're more like, um, uh, time and results oriented of getting the thing done rather than this is a, at the end of the day, it should be a fun collaborative experience and it mm-hmm. should be, mm-hmm. um, a, a safe space for the actor to try and play. And I've yeah. definitely had directors that are just like lazy and they'll give you line readings and it's like, yeah. yeah. Sure, I get it, but it's like that's to me, in my opinion, when there's directors that work like that, like on in excessive, it's like you're just lazy at your job and you don't know how to talk to actors, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I feel like there's people who respect the art form of directing that they they know how to do that and they they know how to communicate with actors or they know how to convey a note, they know how to get their point across and let the actor experience it, mm-hmm. and hopefully, it can get to uh, an even better place or it can exceed their expectation. Yeah. Um, so in voiceover, I've definitely experienced <laughs> like, so I'm like, this is not creatively fulfilling at all. You know, you're, <laughs> you're, I might as well be going and mopping floors. You know, yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of a similar experience. The, go on. No, no, no. That's yeah. Oh, yeah, you, yeah. You have a comment on that? Yeah. There was some, I remember, um, I remember one of the turning, uh, a huge turning point for me in terms of the way I, I like saw all of that was, did you ever see this interview with, um, with Brian Cranston where he talks about the time he, that things shifted for him and saying that he stopped going into he stopped going into auditions feeling like he was he was wanting to get a job and started going in like he was going to present a presentation yep I, so, I I love that interview yep. yeah, yeah yeah that that was a, I think for so many people that was a game changer and it was the thought of that of actually sort of retaining your retaining your self-worth <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in those, yeah. In those situations, when the when the scales can like feel unbearably balanced, uh, sometimes, and not like it's not that the director on the other side is wanting that to feel that way. It's just the way that the job structure uh, and I think the way we've been sort of programmed to think, where we're like, please, please give us the job, um, yeah, yeah. and and th- that always stuck with me of saying. Um, yeah, going in as a presentation. This is how I would do it. If we can work together, great. If not, fine. We'll sure. Go, go yeah. A different way. 
I've definitely, um, kind of on that similar note, there's moments too where I have not spoken up for myself when I should have. And I think it was for fear of losing the job or for not yeah. getting work again. And, I, and I've, you know, felt like I wasn't treated. And granted, there's certain times where, like, you know, you've worked with Sam Mendes, you know, in this huge film, you're not going to be like, hey, Sam, you know, I actually, yeah. <laughs> I think you should be doing things this way. You know, like, there's definitely a time and a place for certain things, I would imagine, d- depending upon what's being. Sure. Uh, uh, done, of course, too, but I've definitely been in situations where I'm like, I've experienced that now, and I, and, and I didn't speak up for myself. Next time, I'm not going to let that happen um, yeah, in a certain yeah. way. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to overwork my voice um, for four hours, or I'm not going to, you know, tolerate an entire session of giving, getting <laughs> line reads the entire time. I'm like, just hire somebody else then, you know, <laughs> you just need a, a, know. someone to speak. It's not for me. Um, yeah, yeah, life's too short. And that also falls into then sort of seeing, um, seeing your role as an actor, not just as a creative artist, but also as a worker. And I think yes. this is something that is very, because obviously we love we love doing what we do and sometimes the opportunities seem as if they come along quite rarely so we're just we feel so grateful to be there that we wouldn't think anything else yeah but then actually within the you know to think of it within a union aspect and actually sort of giving yourself the the weight and self-worth within your context as a worker someone that's knows what they're doing someone that's come there to do a a job and retaining that as well so the balance doesn't completely shift to yeah yeah sure i'll do it because i'm just i feel so grateful to be here so thanks very much and there is like of course it's lovely to have that gratitude and you want to know that you are you want to feel like you're working in in an environment where everyone is delighted to be there but also that 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 we that we can try and remind ourselves that we're we're here because we can offer a service that they want and yes. we can be part of this puzzle that not everyone can do and the fact that you're still here doing it is maybe is validation in itself that you have that your worth is 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 here and mm-hmm. and and it should and it shouldn't be taken for granted and that's not an ego thing of saying like <clears throat> Um, I'm brilliant. I'm really, really talented. So you should listen to everything I'm, you know, I'm saying. It's more just sort of respecting the fact that you've worked long and hard enough, where you have got expertise and you've built them up over time, <clears throat> and you do have a skill that not necessarily everyone can do, and yes. they're asking you to do it, and that gives you just as much right to be there as as everyone else. And I guess it, it, you've just got as much right to be as treated as fairly. You've got the same workers' rights that anyone should have and i think a lot of these things were highlighted during the pandemic because we saw i don't know if it was the same in america but definitely in the uk there were a lot of people that fell and fell between the gaps with support and from the government um because maybe they weren't actually in a job at the time so they couldn't be furloughed in the same way or they couldn't you know they couldn't prove certain finances in the same way and so lots of freelancers suffered, yet how were they keeping everyone indoors and safe? They were plugging them with loads of TV and loads of media and loads of stuff that had been made from self-employed people and freelancers and creative artists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's where you think, oh, you need to actually remember that sort of 
my work is worth something and that shouldn't be taken for granted within the industry sector absolutely mm. and, and brilliantly put it's 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 i think with experience and history and have done doing this for so long i mean i think it's maybe a little easier for someone who's just brand new to to feel that uh agency to speak up Abs- for themselves absolutely and it's hard you know? and uh, probably it should often take the the older actors sometimes to, to step up and take that mantle because we've all been there and we know what it feels like to be to just sort of put ourselves down and say yeah, yeah i'll do whatever because i'm i just really need the job yeah it's vulnerable um, it is. like lots of duff, like loads of industries are i'm sure anyone walking in for the first day in any job will feel that vulnerability but yep i don't know <laughs> no it's, it's 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 so important i think it's 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 paramount for this industry and especially um i mean I'm, i've seen it from on camera to, to to voiceover and there's different ways that you can um not feel empowered to speak up for yourself in any shape that you can. I mean, this yeah, is we're yeah. all we're all here to. I mean, I I hopefully believe we're all here to make something fun, entertaining that is right. you know artistically fulfilling in some capacity. And it should there should be an air of that to every project. I would hope to a certain degree. I mean, obviously, yeah, if you're yeah. doing. I'm gonna, <laughs> which will lead me to my next question. But cool. if you're doing something like Macbeth, obviously it's it's hard to like, um, uh, you know, sunshine and rainbows the entire sure, project. Sure. There's a bit of seriousness <laughs> that carries that. But at the end of the day, we're playing pretend and we're playing make believe and we're right. playing dress up. You know, so yeah, and it should be f- yeah, exactly. I'm I'm very much of of that mentality. Of my friend put it once of sophisticated like acting sophisticated showing off, which I thought was quite a nice <laughs> way of just sort of like still playing pretend. Um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. And in a, in an industry where we can often get caught up with. Uh, jealousy or bitterness or when things aren't going away and someone else seems to be getting the job I, I i don't know i like to i like to try and think of sort of that workers thing of like a union of actors and we saw it when like sag were striking and and with the strikes yep. the unity of things that we were fighting for together where it wasn't and we sort of leave aside that kind of any kind of bitterness or uh, anxiety or jealousy we have that's very individualistic. Yep. Um, which, of course, that's there. One person is going to get the job. I, I think half of the first... I think if you're going to survive, at least for me, I think I recognised the only way I was going to survive in this career is if I was going to learn to always be happy for the person that got the job. Yes, if it wasn't yes. Me. Because otherwise, it's a very... Oh, it's a I can be a very sad and bitter existence trying to carve it through because it's there if you want to find it you can always find something to moan about yeah and look it's that's very easy for me to say coming off an amazing game and and having that bit of luck but I've been it in the other times when I've looked at the same people getting the jobs and stuff and it can one can poison you and I think one can kind of be more fulfilling if you if you let it but it does take work i guess <laughs> it does and it takes understanding of yourself and having a life outside of this i think to find your groundedness and have your your circle and your community to feel fulfilled and happy um yeah. not dependent upon the successes you get but i mean like you just said like why do you want to hate on the person who's getting a job when like when ultimately we all want to believe we're going to be put in that same situation at some point in our lives do you want everybody looking at you saying that asshole he got that i should have got that's like no you want to be like 
good for you. You you know, I can't wait to see what you do with this. The same way I would hope people right. would be like, I'm excited to see what you do with this. You know, no one wants to feel like <laughs> when they're doing a job, like <laughs> I'm I shouldn't be here. It was a mistake. I know that you <laughs> cast the wrong person. You'd be like, no, I just got my opportunity to to be on stage and present myself and express myself the way I hope everybody else who's an artist gets to at sure, some point in their sure. life. You know, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask before I forget too, because yeah. I know you've done uh, Macbeth too, and I, and I, again. I'll, I'll wrap this up soon. I know we've I've exhausted no, no, too much of your no, time no, here. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> but you've you've gotten to do Macbeth and something that is uh, the Scottish play. Is that something for you that was kind of a, a dream that you? I, I always feel like as a New York actor, for me, it was kind of like being on Law and Order, Law and Order SVU. Um, you know, oh, like if you're a New Yorker, it's like you want to like get that check mark off of your thing. Or it's kind of similar. I think maybe more for uh, Americans. Maybe it's more Hamlet because it's. I don't know. Maybe it's been more uh, displayed in media to a certain degree that way. But as the Scottish play, did you feel yeah. kind of a like this is something I'm pining for, or I get I hope I get to do at some point in my life? Yeah. It's so interesting you made that. that I, I that was not the analogy I was expecting you to. Oh to really? Make. No. In terms of like in terms of law and order thing, I was like, oh wow, that's <laughs> what you went for. I was expecting you to say like, uh, like <clears throat> I'm trying to think now of really really quintessential. Uh, I suppose. I don't know. I was expecting you to say like a, I don't know, like View from the Bridge or something. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I was thinking Caesar. I was like, oh, cool, Law and Order. Um, yeah. It, it wasn't. It it wasn't something. Like, I think no is no is the short answer. Um, however, uh-huh. it was. I think, possibly partly because I'd spent a lot of my career. Auditioning for, a much more supporting roles. I'm happy at seeing my kind of groove in that way where I wasn't necessarily playing leads and making the most out of the the lines that I had and then aspiring to be the, 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 the actors that are in loads of stuff but you don't necessarily kind of always remember their name or they're not the, you know, they're not leading it or whatever. Yeah. And so when that came along, <clears throat> I... I mean, to be honest, I don't know what came over me because I think I had, I think I was asked to audition for Banquo um, first. Uh-huh. And yes. then I asked if I could audition for Macbeth, which is really out of character for me. <laughs> it's like, I'm not the type of person that's going to be like walking around and saying, here, read me for this part as well. See me for this part. So I I, I can't remember why I thought, but I, there must have been a part of me that thought, screw it. Why, why, why don't I go for Macbeth as well? <clears throat> and... And so, yeah, it, it went my way. And then you have that five minutes of being like, oh my God, and then a massive fear just sets in. <laughs> like, Whoa, I've got, yeah. uh, I've got now a mammoth, mammoth task ahead of me. So it wasn't something that I had always aspired to. It was always a part that obviously I had recognized and seen before and thought was an amazing character. <clears throat> um, but it was kind of, Again, because I don't even know why I said I want to be seen for that part. I can't remember. Maybe I was just sort of, maybe I, I think I maybe just come off another place. So I felt like I was sort of confident and willing yep. to try and pump, punch above my weight. Sometimes it works um, <laughs> uh, rather than being out of work for seven months. I'm like, yeah, 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 please, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll see you for whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and that... And that was a learning curve, though, for me as well. I mean, obviously, I, I don't think you can do... You can attempt a, a size of part of that and, and not come out with, with any learning experience. 
Um, but it's only once you start getting into that text where you realise like how much is there, and it's 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 so rewarding um, yeah. as as an actor because those some of those lines are incredible. They've been said for however many years, and the more you look at them, the the more you just sort of appreciate the poetry <clears throat> that's there and the thoughts and everything behind it is is incredible. Um. And then also the the weight of of carrying a play, which is something yes. that I hadn't, uh, I don't think I'd felt to that extent before. <clears throat> I'd, I'd been, I'd been in plays where it'd been more shared, but there was definitely the. I think I used to enjoy that thing of sort of being able to go off, enjoy the play, and knowing if it wasn't successful, it's like yeah, cool. yeah. it's like they're not going to be writing about me. <laughs> so that's, that's fine but then eventually yeah. you kind of have to take responsibility for that and dang your own sword so to speak if it doesn't go your way and you're like oh okay <laughs> yeah and and this is where I, I start to believe and not that that was sort of uh it, you know it, it wasn't like i'm in no way a, a celebrity but I, i've got some friends that are celebrities and you start to realize that regardless of the 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 size of the role or the point of success that you hit that you, there's there might be certain aspects of your life that become more enjoyable maybe more things open up to you maybe more opportunities open up to you maybe you're additioning less but mm-hmm. i don't think that anxiety goes away or that whatever those pressures that were before that feeling of leading a play it's, it's all still there um, yeah. I think if you care, it's always going to be there, and because everyone's human, and even if you're leading up a, a huge, big Hollywood blockbuster film, it's like the anxiety is probably even more. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think I think that that pressure I, again too. I think you different than certain careers where I think where you can kind of get lazy to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're as a performer, and then when you get into these. Um, titular roles where you're the main character whatever it is like the audience always has that same barometer of like you're not going to bullshit past me and you won't continue to work if you don't you know do something that is compelling or inspiring so that fear i think will always be there whereas in certain other jobs maybe or when you get to play a side character where you're like okay well that person's going to do the heavy lifting for me so i know that i don't have to 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 show up where (laughs) Macbeth, i mean that's something where you oh, know, yeah, you're, you're setting the pace. Up. You're setting yeah, the yeah, pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if yeah, if you don't show up, then it's then what, how can anyone else be expected to to show up? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's it was it was an incredible role. It got cut. It got cancelled. Sort of three quarters of the way through the run because this little thing called COVID happened. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember that. And and the world <laughs> stopped. Um, and yeah, from being someone sort of uh, doing Macbeth, this play that sort of like played with unluck, you're like, wow, wow, <laughs> <laughs> wow, they weren't getting. <laughs> wow, man. Uh, <laughs> um, well, did somebody say it in the theater? Is that why? Does is that what happened? Is that what caused all this? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, well, who? It's like, yeah, who said this in the theater? This like set the world on fire. Um, I'm sure there were. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure being sarcastic, people, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, if only, if only the play had that much power. Um, I know, but uh, it was, it's an, yeah, it's an incredible, it's an incredible piece of work. I often, I mean, I love Shakespeare. I often do believe that it's more fun for the actor than it is for the audience. If I'm, if I'm mm-hmm. totally 
if I'm totally honest. Uh, For a no, contemporary just, audience, very much I feel that's right. believable. And I think there's, I have seen, I have seen versions of Shakespeare that I've absolutely loved, and yeah. uh, and it's been great, and I've been sort of taken away. There's been others where I've thought like, yeah, cool, this is a good, this is this is fine or whatever, and I've yeah. And but from doing that now, I've recognised that maybe the audience are are liking it and that's fine. But there's going to be an actor up there that's having the time of their life, just kind of exploring this in yeah. this incredible writing. And you, like, I think I probably I always sort of I respected Shakespeare, and I wouldn't say I was a, a you know, I want to just do Shakespeare for the rest of my life. But um after doing that and i'd done shakespeare before i'd done plays i'd done julius caesar and been fortunate enough to have a tiny part um in king lear with uh, in a tv version of king lear but then seeing those it sounds like a bit of a cliche to say now but when you're saying some of those speeches night after night you're like oh wow this is this i can i understand now when people say this is a privilege because yes like the writing you're not always doing work that where you're gifted with such amazing writing and yeah uh, and and that's incredible and it's the same like even with kate even with final fantasy it's a very very different thing but i can i can remember like a couple i can remember sometimes when i was looking at a line and thinking huh that's a really cool line yeah <laughs> it's a really really cool line in a completely different context and a completely different thing is not you know it's, it's definitely not shakespeare but within its own context you have the joy to sort of say something that's like, like, oh wow, that's a really really fun scene to play, or that was a really really cool thing to to do, which yeah. is kind of what it comes down to. I've it always is, got respect is... for a writer, that's for sure. Oh, yes, I mean, <laughs> I, and especially in Final Fantasy, I've, it is it is top shelf. The writing that obviously comes from the origination for the the Japanese, you know, where the the writing started. And then to be compounded with phenomenal localizers, you Mm -hmm. know, working with people like Ryan and Ben and Matt and to to see them retain the um, integrity of what is, is being conveyed in the Japanese and then also fitting it within the frames that it has to be said for an yeah. English speaking audience, you know, cause people just think like, Oh, a line is said in Japanese, like the quick Brown Fox jumped over the lazy dog. That's the line. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you're just going to say that in English in, in, and in Japanese, you say it the same way. It's like, no, sometimes those are twice the length yeah. in in the duration, and you don't have that that liberty. Um, which is actually one of the interesting things about the industry that I think might change with technology. But as of now, and with the recording of things, like we are given kind of these bumpers where, like, yeah, you can yeah. say it. This is we need it within like this type of speed. So as a writer, you're challenged to retain that meaning and sentiment of that line, but also be. Um, confined to a duration, which is very hard and requires someone who is very skilled to do that. And we've been privileged. I mean, and I imagine if you have that same experience with a character who is very poetic and um, speaks kind of in riddles and tells fortunes to have good writing is a challenge and also a gift and a privilege. So um, we're very lucky. Absolutely. And you're right in that thing of sort of having to sort you know sometimes the japanese can be twice the length or half the length and yes then yeah. you've got to try and <laughs> you've got to either try and pad it out or you've got to try and completely uh, cram it in um and in some ways I, I i enjoyed that aspect of it because it gives you these kind of boundaries to work within especially when sometimes you don't even have the animation to watch you know yeah. you've kind of got to fit it into this this frame rate 
um, and again, it was really it was really new to me. And I, I remember the my first day uh, in. Um, I hadn't the only. I can't remember who was on my recall, my callback session. I think Ryan. I think Ryan might have been there, or maybe someone else. I can't remember. Kirk wasn't there though. So mm. the first time I like met any of them was just sort of standing in front of the mic, and he was like, "Okay, mm-hmm. so have you, have you done this before?" And I'm like, "Nope." <laughs> oh no! <laughs> he's like, "Okay, so this is what we're going to do," and uh, he's just like, "We're going to we'll listen to the Japanese a couple of times, then you'll see it three times round. We're trying to sort of fit it into the same thing." And I'm just there looking at this like script of like random lines, which I mean, sometimes they would send me it the night before, which is lovely. However, like. I mean, I may as well have just been looking at it blind because you don't know the context of any of the lines. Yes. <laughs> you don't know what you're It's just an Excel to. spreadsheet of, of individual lines. Right, yeah, exactly. Or yeah. individual sounds, as lots of the days were. Um, <laughs> trying to find 150 different ways to have, you know, to, to feel the impact of a punch. Yes. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how, how was that experience for you having that been a brand new thing? Because I always fantasized as because I grew up playing video games and, yeah. and, and stuff like I always fantasized about doing that library of fighting and different sounds and different things. Was that like a fun experience for you within it, the game to, to record all that? It was a fun experience. But I mean, they can be some of the most exhausting sessions um, yeah. because you're doing it for two or, you know, maybe you're doing that for like the best part of four hours and you've all right you've got five different like punch impacts you've got to have or something and then you've got to make sure all of those are varied and sometimes you'll do three takes of each three takes of each three takes of each and you'll keep collecting them keep collecting them and then you'll go back we'll finish a section you may go back and listen to them and you realize that five of them sound pretty much the same you're like oh man so, <laughs> so then you're going back and uh, and just trying to figure out different ways sometimes again not falling into the trap of what the japanese are doing because it just yes. doesn't sound right um so like they're fun and and there would be some days that i'd really enjoy doing them but then after it tours of doing it and then you see a line of dialogue i'm like oh thank god for that <laughs> yes like, yes something to say can... something to get my feet teeth into rather than just like <laughs> i know it's it's its own it's its own learning curve doing that and i think that you know it's 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 you know you can do a whole master class on just fighting efforts for video oh, games yeah 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 and it was it was a completely new i mean all of it was a completely new area to me that i learned as i went along i mean to be honest i thought again because i didn't sort of i, I didn't want to read too much about the character once i'd seen the edition and i'd gotten the part um, they told me I was going to be recording for like various days throughout January. I thought the thing was just going to be like a like a six week gig, um, and so they kept, and then they were like more sessions in February and then more sessions in March. And I'm saying to my agents like, I'm, I mean this is this is great, but like, uh, <laughs> do I know how long this is going to go on for? And they're like, like no, they just like they write the scripts and then they sort of like call you back and then a year and a half yeah. later I'm still recording this thing. <laughs> <laughs> And I got in the sense of like, oh, I feel like I'm following through like gameplay here. And, you know, it wouldn't be obviously the entire year. There'd be chunks of time when I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have anything from, say, like March through to June. And then they would call me back and they had a new bit set up. And then there was times when work would clash. 
um, and we had to kind of really try and reschedule things or I'd be out in LA um, and I thought that was going to be great because uh, I was like no no one has to wake up at 6am here for, for me or Ryan doesn't need to be awake at 11pm in Tokyo but because my contract was a UK contract I couldn't record stateside what it was like so i i would like be out there for like a month and i'd go and see kirk and stuff and there were times when they were like when's paul available and i'm like ah. it's like i'm here i'm, I'm in i'm in la and uh, they were like we can't just because of the way the contract and i didn't have an american working visa um they were like it's that's way too much red tape and so if he could just like get back to class go home that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, fascinating yeah I i've never like i mean it. it makes sense i i guess when you explain it but you would not think like you said you know i'm i'm here it's easier for everybody but yeah i know i was like oh yeah and i'm I, like a full respect for kirk and justin and martin they were getting into the studio for about 6 a.m um, and then uh ryan or ben uh, Ryan had a lot of the old shit because Ben eventually got back to the States for a while so he was with them but when I was yeah. Ryan all of his stuff it was like 11pm to about 3am 3, 3, 4am yeah. um, and there was one time <laughs> there was one time so for me it's like 2pm it's like it's gold yeah. I'm doing like 2pm to 6pm that's when the studio is open so great and there was one time it was like 1pm my time and I get a message from Kirk saying like hey are we are we on today and I panic because I'm like, you know, who wants to be late for their session, especially when mm -hmm. someone, I was like, no, no, it's always two till six, it's always two till six. I'm checking the emails again. And I was like, I've got it down as two till six. It turns out Kirk had just gotten confused and had gotten... <laughs> they were going to say like daylight savings or something. Like, yeah, no, I think he just, he'd gotten confused and so, or or whatever. And so he'd gotten, he got, he got into the studio an hour early. He got in for like five oh. years. No! Oh <laughs> my like, gosh! Oh, man, um, bless their hearts, man. No, he was like, ah, oh, ever bad. It turned out there was a problem. There was a problem with the technology that time, anyway. So they ended up using some of the time. But like he there was, he was in, and I mean, he must have been exhausted. He was like, ah, oh, he like couldn't believe it. <laughs> it is for them, honestly. Bless their hearts, everybody. You know, the entire team um, at Skylark who who works on these games. It it is the amount of dialogue that needs to be recorded. You think about just your character and the amount of time you yeah. put in there, your, your individual stuff. It's like they've got every little voice that pops up in these towns and these villages, the other main cast. It is monumental yeah. how much is involved in this process. And, you know, these people are there from oftentimes beginning to end, you know, yeah, yeah. Ch you know, chipping away at this I know, beast. I know, I know for so, so long. So, out of curiosity, when you auditioned for it, did you, when you saw the audition, were they, was there like a, a reference that they wanted you to stay close to or were you like your own and were you just going in with your own interpretation? I went in with my own interpretation, but I did. I do remember that I had a callback for it and I had, I have a habit of when I do auditions, I do it oftentimes I'll do it two different ways or like one I'll have real fun with for myself for voiceover, you know, I'll do it and I, and I went real Southern with them, you know, yeah, I went yeah. really, and then I did a callback and they, if I'm remembering correctly, um, 
I pulled that way back. You know, right. I found the middle ground of of retaining a lot of that country boy type of stuff, that spunk, but really just playing it real. And so uh, I didn't have a reference, but then when I went in, I remember they were like, we like what you did in that callback. Right. Let's stay with that, which, you know, again, like we were saying earlier, sometimes you find that reference and you're like, you're here and you're like, you, your instinct is to match that or to sure. like find the musicality maybe on one line like if it's like if they're if like the, the line is an ah like ah that's what you're talking about and they go mm-hmm. ah that's what you're yeah, talking about yeah. you you like my instinct is to go oh that's the way you say ah rather than yeah. just having it maybe be like ah that's you know like you you yeah. can find your own individuality within that same line without having to be a copycat or a mimic so long as it's not um picture dependent or flap dependent right, um, right, right, right. sometimes there are restrictions that lead mm-hmm. you in so it is a it's a balancing act yeah um, but you you had that in they were referencing that for you within your callback um yeah they sticking sent, to that they sent I, I mean when i i mean it wasn't like the edition came to me it was like uh it was a blanket it was like a blanket edition for like my agency my, my agent just sent one to like Hey, this is one for the guys. Um, but we yeah. one, blah blah blah. See below if you're interested, and it was up to you if you wanted to audition for it or not. Uh-huh. And they had, they had that clip from the clip that we were talking about uh, earlier from Dirge, and um, they'd said, looking to stay really close to what it's already been set up. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, and then they had also sent a. Uh, they sent a voice reference of that, and they'd also sent a voice reference of the Japanese, <laughs> of the um, from Rebirth, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, and I think obviously that was just to try and like match the energy, I guess. Yeah. And so, I yeah, I sent in sort of, of a, I sent in a few takes. I think that was in like, that was in October, and then by I think November time, I was in a callback. And I was rehearsing a play in Manchester at the time, and then, then we worked, and they were like, "Let's see." They were, they were, we were trying a couple of versions where we were trying to keep it more grounded, and then uh, there was someone's like, "Well, let's see what sounds like when we push it to our max. Let's give ourselves a range and stuff." Yeah, and then, and then I found out I got the gig, and like come January, I was going to start recording, um, but I didn't. It hadn't been particularly clear to me what. Know, which version they were really looking for was, yeah uh, you're like all right guys how you doing or you know all right guys how you doing <laughs> so it was like where where are we and we found it as we went along obviously and there yeah. are times when he goes you know so soars into his falsetto and he's there for the comic thing and there's more when it's more grounded or whatever but it was it was an all it was always an interesting thing where i was like oh yeah they had they had something in mind, something had been created, and they did want to sort of like stick with that. And I, I'm curious yeah. for the other actors if they were just like, we're starting afresh, we're starting a blank, um, I, and let's yeah. see what we've got. I think because there's been so much Final Fantasy VII that's existed in various things, whether through um, Kingdom Hearts or Advent Children or Crisis Core, or there's been so much establishment. I think that there is, from my understanding, this is my own opinion, I don't know this to be true, um, that there is some sort of through line that they want to keep to a certain extent. You know, I don't think, you know, I I wouldn't imagine, you know, (laughs) from, 
they would have said, okay, Vincent Valentine sounds this way, but now we want him to have a super bright voice. You know, there's sure, a, sure. between Steve Bloom and Matt Mercer, there is a bit of a through line there as right. well. Um, even though it is a different actor um, uh-huh. in this role, you know, and I was I was talking with Caleb about that too. I think that while they have similarities within the way they play Zach, him and um, Rick Gomez, there's just different. He the way he described it, which was great, was like there's just different souls in this mm-hmm. version of the performance. Um, and I think that's a great way of of looking at a lot of these things for characters that have existed. It's it's also its own standalone thing in a certain de- degree. You know, the storyline is what it is for this. It's not necessarily dependent upon those other things. Um, I know there's been comments made about, like, whether this has stuff from if the plot is connected. And I don't remember that answer, so I'm not going to comment on whatever, whatever that was said. <laughs> I don't remember the answer. So ignore what, and I, I don't know. But, you know, there within this world, um, there is obviously it's, um, you know, there there's things that are different. There's it, it's a, a longer game by certain means. There's things that didn't exist in, you know, like my characters. I speak from my own uh experience there's dialogue that my character did not say in the first game you know that he now says in this remake so um and granted my character just never had a voice so you know it's also unique in that ways too but (laughs) yeah oh yeah for you for you was that something that um the fact that the character existed um in different iterations was that exciting or was that um did you find that exciting or did you just make that, like you were saying earlier, that conscious effort to say, I don't want to hear whatever was said and I want to make this my own, um, even though you were getting fed a little bit of it? Yeah, I had, I think once the, like once I'd gotten the gig and I knew that my, like what I'd given them was based on like what they asked for, like giving a version of something that was within that bracket or within that range or whatever, um, it was like cool okay so they like like they like what i'm doing that's the direction they want to go and that's great and from from there with from this structure then i can start to then i can start to make it my own and yeah and i think for me that was again i i let myself just do it purely with kirk and ryan and ben and and you know i never got not that I know of and there was never any feedback that came back saying we need to do massive changes or anything so that it went yeah. on and they everyone seemed happy which is great and it gives you more confidence that so like that's that's what I'm doing and it seems to be working for everyone so happy days um, yeah yeah and so yeah again I think my development of it just lay within kind of looking at the lines at the time what's the context of this because there was it got to the point where I was more curious I thought maybe I will sort of uh, start to google more stuff but mm. then I, I i stopped myself from doing it because i thought no i'm as soon as i start trying to please everyone's opinion of what this should be then it's like i'm finished yeah and uh and i think again coming back to the sort of the royal the roller coaster of naivety i think i i was allowed to enjoy the job for when i was doing it because i didn't I didn't understand or I didn't I didn't appreciate the kind of I didn't have the weight of what was sitting on me from some people now I feel like I feel that now and it's amazing and I think one of the incredible things about or one of the incredible things I've experienced is that the fan base for this just seems to be so 
supportive and so yeah. enthusiastic. I don't think anyone's there to try and sort of rip your head off, but you kind of you do feel the responsibility of wanting to do this justice for people that have like followed these characters for, for years, have a, a huge love and affinity with these characters. So of course you like I always wanted to treat it with respect. I remember when I I mentioned it to a, a cousin having been very strict about my NDAs and stuff I wasn't going to put anything on social media partly because there was another actor that played it and I don't know what the story was about recasting I have no idea yeah. so I was like I'm just not going to go online at all about this and then I asked my cousin I was like are you a gamer? and he was like yeah yeah he's like I play I'm voicing this game right now it's like Final Fantasy he's like what? the Rebirth? <laughs> I was like yeah it's like what are you doing? I was like this character Kate Seth? he's like whoa yeah man everyone's gonna know <laughs> that's a heavy deal like, what it's like yeah yeah you're not hiding behind that everyone's gonna know who that is I'm like oh okay <laughs> and so i think it was probably about three quarters of the way full through recording by that point so i think by that point you're like well i'm i'm balls deep in what i'm doing anyway so there's, <laughs> there's no yeah it's like i just need to carry on doing what i'm doing yep um, but it wasn't, it was never out of kind of, uh, it wasn't out of complete not knowing. I think I knew that sort of, I mean, the game was huge and the more I did it, the more I realized I was really interwoven into the entire game, but I kind of, I was happy just working with Kirk and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and Ryan. And if they were, if they were happy with what we were creating, then who was I to try and sort of like say otherwise? Cause I was enjoying it as well. Yeah. And it, and it's a weird since since then people have sent me things on on reddit and you can realize like some of the conversations go like wild in terms of people's interpretations or their sort of the, the criticisms or their love or whatever there's just such a vast yeah like pool of stuff you can draw on or be affected by is mm -hmm. it works both ways well i'm i'm glad that you for, for that reason um didn't allow that to influence you in any way shape or form because i think everyone who comes in i think probably every cast member who came in cuz i think every single person is a, a another version of this voice there's not a character that has existed i don't think i could be wrong at least in the main cast that was the original uh voice of these characters so as much as i believe as an actor myself that you cannot allow that weight to affect you of how yeah. influential this is as a property on society and the world it is probably for the better in the terms of results, <laughs> uh, you know, of the performances. And if you're having a good time, I think us as the audience will have a good time in, uh, in comparison as well. Yeah. I think that's kind of what you, I think you always have to trust that. And if you know, and you coming trying to do an honest job and knowing that you sort of you do the work and you turn up and uh and again sort of it was a joy to be able to sort of like know and trust kirk and, yep. and ryan and ben like that you felt in very safe hands that they knew what they were doing which for an actor is a is is a relief um yeah you think, oh great we can collaborate here and i feel like we're all working towards the same goal Essentially. Yeah, it's a gift. They are very good at what they do. Um, phenomenal people. I felt the same exact way. I couldn't. I showed up to. I showed up recording every time, excited, um, which isn't always the case. Like I yeah. always felt that sense of like I'm gonna play today. I'm gonna have fun. I'm gonna collaborate. Yeah. And um, which is, it's so crazy to think that you would imagine every job is like that, and it's not sometimes the case, you know. And no, no. Um, it's it's you know, especially in voiceover. In my experience, it's just. Um, 
that is why I believe the products they put out are as good as they are because they hire people, they hire directors, crew, engineers, people that are supporting you the entire way. They're rooting for you. They're rooting for the project. They understand the collaboration that no person in this room is better than anybody else. Um, they're open to ideas. It's like it, it, it is. I that's why anytime I get an audition that is I know something that they're working on I'm like oh I want to get that because I just want <laughs> I want the experience you know I want the yeah. working experience I, I I care less about the vanity sure. at this point I've had I've done you know tons of voiceover characters at this point in time and I, you know that's always fun when the characters are big and it's part of big properties but. I'm kind of searching for those moments artistically where I'm like, I need a little bit. I need a little bit to take home with me. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. I know for certain that you were in good hands. And that's like, you know, it's it's a, it's the high, it's the top yeah. shelf, man. You yeah. got a top shelf experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would love to know for you in this whole game experience, and we'll wrap this up here. I appreciate you hanging out so long with me and getting to, no, I think this is probably, this is your first time talking about Kate Sith, like in a public forum. Am I correct? Yes, this is. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> so I think people are going to be very excited. I know we have tons of final fantasy fans, so this is kind of an exclusive here. What are you most excited for, for people to experience about this game or take away with, I mean, you could speak from your perspective as the human being who was a part of it, or just from like, um, you know, understanding that this is part of a legacy video game. What are you hoping people walk away with after having played this game? I mean, of course, like, of course I hope it kind of, you know, remake did such an amazing job of kind of, um, of meeting the expectations of the, of the fans before. And of course I hope that sort of rebirth continues to do that. Um, and I, I guess like for, for those that have had experience with the games before, I, I really hope that rebirth can be a game where that, um, the uh what's the word this the feeling of it is is just deepened and is is made mm-hmm. is is enriched everyone's experience of this game and this world and this particular story is just completely enriched and for those that are playing it for the first time um i like i'm sh- i'm sure for everyone that's keen to play that hasn't had an experience of final fantasy or didn't necessarily play this first game and i like i can only imagine i mean i would love to be a fly in the wall for some people where this is their sort of like first introduction into final fantasy because i think it would be absolutely incredible um but i yeah i think it's i think for everyone that's a lover of the game i just really hope that kind of the questions get deeper the stories get deeper and that everyone's kind of fascination and love and imagination for the game just gets more and more rich from this game i think that's what i would sort of love to see like for the world just to become even more interesting for everyone that's there because undoubtedly i'm sure there are going to be questions that maybe started at at the first time they played it and have maybe been progressed or we start to look Mm -hmm. at other people's characters in a way that maybe haven't considered before and from there it just kind of opens up possibilities rather than closes them so yes Beautiful. I mean, that's such a wonderful way of putting it, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for the people who haven't played this game too, because the first game, it was, um, it's kind of the introduction to this world and this characters and yeah. what's going on with the planet and Avalanche and the Mako Poison, very kind of paralleling to things that I think people can relate to in real life. You know, it yeah. very much introduces that. 
um, higher power or elitist mentality and, and sucking the earth dry. We see that very apparent in the first game. Mm-hmm. And then in, at least from the original game, it opens up to this vast world that we're dealing with, with Sephiroth now yeah. and Genova and all of the intricacies that are happening within this unique individual story. You know, so we get that huge setup and we get like the intro to all these characters and what's going on, what yeah. the fight's about. And then now kind of twists and turns are happening. Um, again, I speak from the original game. This is from the original game. I want to reiterate <laughs> that. Um, you know, that's where in the original game, it's there, there are these things that are introducing characters like Kate Sith and um, even Vincent and, and, and Sid. You know, we start getting into backstory and like it's um, it's really fun. It's really exciting. I am so excited. And I'm so hopeful to see. Um, and experience it for myself, and uh, I'm just so, so happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm really, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so happy for people to, to 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 hear your performance and get introduced if they haven't to to Kate Sith. I remember just quickly too, the first time I played um, Final Fantasy, the original one. I remember because TVs were sm- so small back in the day. Oh, yeah. You know, like you know, you know, ninety seven or whenever yeah. it was that I was playing this game tiny little tv and you're playing it you know across the room and it's like these very not high definition graphics i remember the first time i saw kate sith because he was writing on this moogle they had the little sprite boxes and i'm like i thought it was just the mog (laughs) you know what i mean i didn't even really it took me a while to realize i'm like wait a second that's not I thought the I thought it was like a moving crown on the top of his head. You know what I mean? For yeah, at the, and I was yeah. like I was like how is this big moogle like doing all this stuff and whatever? <laughs> and then I realized it was the cat and I was like, "Oh my god, this is so brilliant. He is honestly such a fun character." It's such fun. I mean, he's like it's weird as hell. Like if you think of, you know, if someone says to you, it's like, "All right, okay, so you're going to be playing uh fortune telling uh, AI cat that carries around a big megaphone and rides a moogle. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah, all right. No, no, no. Let, let's go for one. Yeah, I think I've got it. <laughs> like, you know, and uh, not to sort of like talk about too much of what goes on maybe further down the story, but in thinking of the creation of this character, both within a story sense and from within like a like within a character sense and within the game developer sense, I would love to have been a fly in the wall to see what sort of trip someone was going on when they thought, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think, I mean, I I really think people are going to enjoy Kate Sith. And that is, like you said, a brilliant um, culmination of how this wacky character comes to be. I mean, there's even like, I, I saw like in like the trailer or the Game Awards thing, they show Kate Sith like uh, running on all fours. And then there was yeah. a bit, I think it was maybe an Advent Children who was like riding Kate's, uh, riding Red 13 at a point in time. Yeah. Like there's just so much to this character. And so he's so complex and so interesting. And from all the stuff that I've I've seen and, and learned about him from everything else, I'm just, I'm deeply excited about it for I know, I can't wait to sort of like see the whole thing come together. I as Brianna was saying, I think before, sort of not knowing like what the game looks like either, because we only know so much. We know what we've recorded, yep. and then so, so we'll be experiencing it at the same time as everyone else. Just are you going to play it yourself? Or are you going to watch playthroughs? How are you going to experience it? I mean, that's the funny thing. I've not, I've not decided yet. I mean, there's a part of me which I think I probably will end up playing it. I'm going to treat myself to a, to a PlayStation and uh, and get it and play it just so I can really really start to. I mean, I I did used to love playing the PlayStation. It's just Final Fantasy wasn't the game. Like I used to play, 
Tekken and Medal of Honor were the two games oh, that like good I, taste. With this, like I used to love playing for the like this this period of time when I got obsessed with a PlayStation. So Tekken and Medal of Honor were the two for me. But um but yeah, I think I I think it probably will. But I'm also massively curious to watch gameplay for people that are really really good at the game um because i think to play it to the extent uh that it can be enjoyed at is going to yeah. sort of like take me a lot a lot of hours to get up to that skill but i, know, um, I, know, I would I love to watch see watch someone play it and experience the world in a way that i haven't been able to yet i mean i had i saw some of the animation when we were recording and that was great mm-hmm. um but obviously there's just so much depth when you put all of the moving parts together oh yeah <clears throat> gosh you know what you should do I'm, I'm joking but you should you should go on to people's twitch channels um and you should just like give people fortunes in their like type in their channel just like write them little like fortune telling things as they're playing and then disappear like watch them <laughs> drop a fortune in and just dip out to the next stream people would die i'm telling you people would die it'd be hysterical <laughs> i might i might do that well yeah we'll work on that i might go back yeah. up and sort of we'll, we'll get some fortunes going and then drop oh dude twitch <laughs> Dude, that would be hysterical. I'm there. I'm game. I'm game. I'm game. Dude, uh, I, I would love to end this podcast with a question I try to ask as many guests as possible. It can be related to the industry. It can be related to Final Fantasy. It can be related to your own life. Is there an experience you've had in your life um, that left an impact on you as a human being or as a creative or as an artist? Um, or it kind of uh, summed up maybe like a, a, a moral or something that you think other people hearing would learn something from or be inspired by? I often touch upon things that are not career related, but there's also many experiences I've had that are career related that I think are like little snippets that, you know, kind of like that Brian Cranston thing. Yeah, um, yeah, is there any yeah. that stand out to you that you, you, you think that um, people would love to hear about? I think there was, it's, it's kind of like, I think the same experience weirdly just happened three times round. I remember there was a, <clears throat> I think it was in my third year of drama. Uh, it was my second year of drama school or something I think and I'd done this exercise and the 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 teacher took a moment to say he was like he was like good that was good this is great and then he said he said to me he said you're a good actor you need to remember that you're a good actor that's why you're here the next the, the, the rest of your time here is going to be you learning how to hone that but you're a good actor and someone and it's you're, you're you're faced with so much rejection all the time um that you kind of you hold on to these things and then another teacher said something um uh at one point when he said he said hold on to your virtue mm. always hold on to your virtue because you will always have again it was a, it was the same thing there was going to be lots of knockbacks in your life that you've got to hold on to something and then and you you forget it so often um and then i there was a there was a, a self tape that I, I auditioned for something and i arrived in the callback and there was a director who respected and uh i said he said to me i didn't know what to prepare he i thought we were going to be just doing the same thing that i'd done before and he said we're not going to do anything and we're not going to prepare i just want to chat with you now i've seen your tape i know you can act everyone that's here i know you can act and it was the kind of, it feels like such a simple thing, but 
remembering i guess what i'm trying to get around to is remember the compliments yeah yeah um just it's it feels like such a simple thing yet in the daily grind of all of the of all of the struggle of all of the rejection of all of the hard days you're going to go through all of the days that even when you're working and that you don't think that you're getting it right and you've had a terrible day in the voice booth or on stage or in set and you you've you've talked yourself into believing that like this is it they're going to let me go <laughs> um remember the compliments whether that's you writing it down on a note in your phone that you can look back at or just remembering them there because it's it's the things that kind of like got me out of a hole when you do there's inevitably going to be times when you think i can't do this (laughs) i don't know why anyone i thought i could do this but i'm looking at a script that i don't know how to do this (laughs) and then and then you think oh no i did do that job or i've got that job or someone said someone said to me once uh, I know you can act, so we don't need to worry about that. This is just about a chat, yeah. and was didn't like didn't he probably didn't think about it, the director, but it stuck with me, and yeah. uh, I'm like, oh, and, and it's it's the same thing again. Like Stephen Daldry comes like, oh, you did that really well, you you played that really well, and it's actually just taking a moment. I guess that's what it is. Take a moment to hear the compliment mm. and remember it because those are the things that are going to save you and um and someone else once said to me work with the people that enjoy what you do Mm. and stick with them those are the friendships you you want to make and again i think for me it always just comes back to ways you can hold on to your self-worth yeah um uh, always be prepared for the additions of course because at the end of the day if you don't if you don't get the job you don't want it to be because you thought you didn't give enough work into it and so i remember someone saying that to me once like always be prepared because even if you don't get it at least you can go out thinking well i did my bit and it's not for it's not for lack of um trying and then and then on top of that just remember the compliments <laughs> yeah 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 no it's i mean i'm a number one offender like i said earlier of, of self-sabotage and i think a lot of artists yeah. are and we the, the the culture in the industry has a way of creating a feedback to make you feel even though it's not true like you aren't good enough and that yeah. you you shouldn't be doing this whether that's by lack of work or lack of um feedback from like um you know we don't hear about auditions why we didn't get them mm-hmm. you know yeah. how often do you ever hear like you were amazing fantastic but you um you know you're a little too young for the character we barely we never hear that so we just it's easy for us to internalize that as we're not good enough but when you start to hear things from people who tell you you are good and that your art affected them in some way, um, I definitely have that 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 penchant to be like, ah, oh, yeah, 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 I don't want to hear that, or right. like, uh, you're not telling me the truth, you're gassing me up, whatever it is. Um, but if we do take the time to realize that, that can be fuel when we need it because um, you're definitely going to get more of the other, which is you know, in this industry where exactly. it's you're not you feel like you're not good enough it's yeah it's 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 an industry of criticism and people are allowed people are allowed to have their opinions and that's completely fair game and i think you've got to have some sort of you've got to have a thick skin and and just appreciate and be fine with the fact that not everyone is going to necessarily like what you do and that's fine but it's uh on on the other side of that in a in a place where sort of self-worth can feel very easily damaged um it's a 
and it's not an ego thing. It's it's not a thing of walking around believing you're the best. It's absolutely not that. But guaranteed, yeah. if you're in this industry long enough, you're going to have your tough days, um, regardless of whatever you've done before. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. Remember the compliment. <laughs> Remember the compliments, guys, seriously. And uh, the, a compliment to you right now is I think you are fantastic in this game. Thank I you. sincerely, uh, I mean that. I, I am so excited for Kate Sith. Uh, he, I think he is a character that, um, again, here's the nerd in me, you know. I think he, in the original game, was such an interesting mechanical character in the way that the mechanics of he was, that yeah. he was a gambler and also like a lottery system, and also he was a great magic user, but like not everybody really realized those strengths, and I'm excited to see the way that he fits into the party setup now with the combat and stuff. I mean, all the animations look fantastic, <laughs> so um, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for what's to come. You are fantastic, and I appreciate you being here, sharing everything that you did, uh. and... Uh, I'm I'm just really grateful to have chatted with you. Likewise, um, thank you so much for having me on. It's been an absolute blast. I really appreciate yes. it. Thank you. Oh, it's an honor. dude, and my and my honor, seriously. <laughs> and everybody, February 29th. I think you're also going to be. When is CoupaCon? You're going to be at that, right? Yes, I'm going to be CoupaCon in Birmingham on the uh, Sunday, the 25th. Sunday, the 27th. Okay. And, uh, Sunday, the 25th of February. Try and say that five wow. times fast. Yeah. Yeah. So not That'll long. be next week for everybody here. That's, who's, yeah, exactly. Uh, That's next week, just before the, a few days before the launch. So I'm wow. looking forward to that. Guys, <laughs> check that out. And everybody, I believe on you have Twitter and um, Instagram, correct? Yeah. At yes. Paul Tinto. Uh, yeah. I'm at Paul. T I'm, I think it, on, tw on Instagram, I think it's undersc at underscore Paul Tinto. And then I think on, tw on Twitter, it's at Paul underscore Tinto. Put those <laughs> put those two variations together. If you start just, to find someone talking about Kate Seth, you know you found the right guy. There you go. <laughs> just keep trying the underscore in various places. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. we'll put that in the, the <laughs> description. Um again, thank you so much. Uh, I am so excited for you. Congratulations. And um I will be uh playing the game for uh, with a grin from ear to ear. So uh, I'm excited. Thank you so much. Thank you man. thank you for coming on Absolute Paul. Pleasure, pleasure is you. mine. <laughs> What an honor, what a privilege to be one of the first people to get to talk to Paul about uh, voicing Kate Sith. I, I, he, I sincerely mean it when I say he was one of my favorite characters. And um, to a certain degree, like I don't think people understood how cool of a character he was in the original game. Um, by certain metrics, he was actually the best character in the game. He had the capability to one-shot I think Ruby and Emerald Weapon. I mean, that's nothing to sleep on. And in terms of his character in the story, it is um, fascinating. The history and the lore behind how he was created and everything. And I'm so curious to see how that all manifests here in Rebirth. So I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Paul. What a great guy. Seriously, down-to-earth dude. And I hope, um, I hope you guys will um, give him a follow on social media and, and let him know how amazing he is because um, I definitely think Kate Synth's about to have their 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 time in the sun, um, <laughs> in the spotlight, so to speak. Um, so thank you guys for watching once again. Uh, please like and subscribe 
to the YouTube here. Or if you're on Spotify, feel free to leave us a review. And uh, check out the Patreon if you would like some access to exclusive episodes behind the scenes and the Discord. You can become a patron um, by going to patreon.com slash poxpodcast and support us and help us make this the most uh, high-quality podcast that it can be. I'll see you guys soon. Thank you guys for hanging around. And uh, take care. Bye.